What's going on, everyone? It is Thursday, April 15th. My name is Everett Lorm, and welcome to the Volleyball Source Podcast. It must be Setters Week because on Tuesday, we interviewed the women's national team setter, Bree King, and today we have the absolute legend, Mr. Number One, TJ Sanders, joins the podcast. TJ, how are you? It's been a while, not since uh, Vancouver of 20, uh, 20, 2020. Have I seen you? How have you been? What have you been up to? Uh, how are things going? Yeah, things are going great. I mean, yeah, I guess it has been been quite a while. Uh, since then, over what have year, I done? Over a year, or I guess just about a year and a half. Just about a year, yeah, a year and a half. A lot of, uh, I mean, a lot of stuff happened for everyone, right? The world is kind of in a, in a crazy spot. Um, for me, had a, a little training session. We were able to get together uh, in the summer a little bit uh, before a bunch of guys went to their pro clubs. Uh, then I spent a good chunk uh, up north, uh, work with the communities up there. And then I also just recently got back to Calgary from being in Gatineau with the NEP for a little bit. Um, and then throughout that, doing school, doing, you know, making sure I'm ready for, uh, for Tokyo and, and enjoying myself. Fair enough. So you've been, you've been battling an injury pretty much since about 2017, 2018. And, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of seen you both professionally, sparingly, and with the, the men's national team sparingly. Um, how is that? How's your injury coming along? Where's, where's, how's the body feeling? Yeah, you know what? It's, it's definitely been a long road. Um, and unfortunately, it's one of those injuries where it's not just, oh, there's a six-week recovery period and then you're back to what you were. Um, so it's kind of something I'll be battling forever, likely, uh, unless technology kind of catches up. Um, but you know what? I feel great. I, uh, going back into Gatineau there with the NEP and training and stuff like that. I obviously were quite cautious. We ramped up slowly. The end goal is obviously the Olympics with, with nations league in there. Um, but it felt incredible. I was, uh, no longer needed to standing float serve, um, which is great. Um, but yeah, it was great. My body was moving. I, I, I was really happy with how that, that kind of stint went. I'm now in Calgary, kind of like assessing i guess you could say um how that went what the toll on the body was and all signs are looking really good all signs are looking green and uh yeah i'm excited i head back there in just over a week and i'll, I'll keep going great so you guys are gonna you guys are gonna train in gatineau for a little bit and then i'm assuming is there going to be some sort of overseas training camp for the guys who are currently overseas to, to meet you guys there yeah so it's a little bit chaotic as i'm sure you can imagine with COVID and quarantines and, you know, lockdowns in certain countries and stuff like that. It looks like, um, depending on where you're at in your season, obviously some guys are already done. Some guys won't be done for a while. Um, there will be a training group in Gatineau. So when I get there, there will be uh, a group of us. It'll probably start off pretty small and then guys will trickle in, um, overseas training camp, a bit of a question mark still. I think that again, depends on, uh, numbers, you know, if a lot of guys are done early, then we'll probably all just eventually meet up in Gatineau mm -hmm. uh, before heading to Italy. Um, but it's kind of still up in the air, you know, just depending on what quarantines look like, um, you know, when we're allowed to go in and enter the bubble in Italy uh, and stuff like that. But I do know for sure there will be guys in, in Gatineau uh, and we'll be training there for a little bit. Great. So, you know, you've been rehabbing this injury. You just mentioned you've been up north quite a bit. Um for those who don't know and, and don't follow you on Instagram, what, is, what does that mean? What are you doing up up north? Yeah, so um, I'm a part of an organization called the Nunavik Volleyball Program, which is in Nunavik, Quebec, which is basically the northern kind of tier of Quebec. We are in 11 communities. Um, 
And basically what we do is it's technically a biopsychosocial sports-based intervention program, um, which is basically a mouthful to say that we use volleyball as a way to build relationship with kids. Um, we basically act kind of as a liaison with the social workers and social services and teachers and stuff like that to use sport as a way to hang out with kids and provide them with, with whatever resources that we can, whether that be, you know, expertise or, you know, material or, you know, a mentor or something like that. Um, so I've been doing that for about three years now, similar to it was, it was shortly after my injury that I got involved with the program. Uh, my girlfriend's also involved with the program now. She's the program coordinator. I'm the technical director. Uh, so she's actually currently up there. Uh, and we, yeah, spend a lot of our, our, lot of our time up there. So big shout out to your girlfriend, Kaisa Burkich, former uh, UFC uh, volleyball player, compete, played some beach volleyball uh, as well too. So is that, she's, she's the one who runs it and kind of organizes it all. And then you're just the guy who wears Team Canada on his chest and, and you're, the, you're the nice guy who shows up and has fun with him. And she, and she does all the real work basically. Right. Well, definitely that's the case. I mean, she definitely does the the brunt of it. Uh, and then there's we have our director as well, uh, who's funded, who started the program uh, about a decade ago now. Wow. Uh, so it's kind of the three of us who who kind of navigate and, and do all that stuff. I'm definitely more sporadic uh, when I go up there because obviously training for the Olympics and stuff like that uh, comes into play. But but yeah, we've been up there for a while now. Wow. So what kind of impact do you see that you guys are having up there? You know, you've been there for three years now. So obviously you guys keep going back. So something good has to be happening. Well, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we kind of take it for granted. I mean, I grew up in London, Ontario, uh, and you could play whatever sport you wanted to play. You could compete for your school. You could compete competitively, whatever you wanted, right? Basketball, volleyball, hockey, whatever. They don't have really any of that. So there's a hockey program up there that's been up there for a little bit. But besides that, uh, there's no sport. So outside of like a phys ed class or something like that, there's no teams you can play on or anything like that. So to be able to we kind of have a three prong approach where we have, we basically try and help organize community teams. So each community will have a team. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll go up there and do a camp for that team. We'll run some practices. We'll talk to the coaches, give them, provide resources, stuff like that, begin to build relationships. Uh, then we also run tournaments. So we'll, you know, fly a bunch of the, those community teams to the same place pre COVID, especially um, fly them all to the same place, put a tournament on, kind of treat it the same way we would, whether we're in London, Ontario or whatever it was, we'll have, you know, everybody played everybody and, and fly everybody in and stuff like that. And then the third one is a regional team program where we basically select a certain, depends on the age group, a certain amount of athletes and we'll either bring them down to Montreal or we'll go to a tournament somewhere uh, and do something like that. So the reason why it's been cool is first of like for us being up there for three years, we've got to see some of our kids grow up, you know, go from 13 to 16 or go from whatever it is. So um, when you're up there and you, and you kind of see the lives that, you know, maybe they've had really fortunate lives, maybe they've had really unfortunate lives. And to be able to provide them, whether it be an outlet or an opportunity to go to Montreal and play in a tournament where, you know, they're from a community of 350 people and they go to a, a tournament where there's more than 350 people in the gym. You know, it's a pretty crazy uh, eye-opening experience for them uh, and for us to be able to uh, share that with them. So there's definitely been a lot of positive feedback and the fact that we get to provide them with an outlet like that with sport. Uh, but then the relationships beyond that, you know, it's been... I mean, think about the relationships that you probably had playing sports with your coaches or with other teammates or things like that. If, if there's no sport to being played, there's no relationship there. So uh, it's been cool to be able to, uh, yeah, watch them, watch them grow up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, we definitely, I, we talk about it so much about how sports can keep kids, you know, off the streets and away from doing bad things. And, uh, 
in a place, you know, I grew up in Ottawa, you grew up in London, those are readily available to almost anyone. Even if you are a, a lower income household, there's always programs and, and people who are, who are willing to help. But if you're in a small community, as you said, in Northern Quebec, um, there's might not be an, anything at all. So the majority of the population that you're dealing with is indigenous, correct? Yeah, Inuit. That's kind of the majority oh, of the kids. In, Inuit, that's, that's fantastic. And I'm guessing they're previous exposure to volleyball was limited if if at all actually it's pretty cool so a lot of them would learn through youtube you know even pre us going up there uh and they have i mean before we would go up there and and show them different things and stuff they would all play in a circle you know there'd be maybe like 15 of them they're all in a circle and it's kind of like this pepper that goes on in the circle which is fascinating but the level's quite good I, i was shocked that volleyball was a big sport up there you know i didn't really anticipate that i think hockey it kind of makes sense there's ice everywhere it's a frozen tundra kind of adds up uh but volleyball is extremely popular it's probably second to hockey and now we're kind of challenging that a little bit but uh yeah it it, you would assume that it's not that big but it shockingly is and they're quite gifted for how you know little experience that a lot of them have i've always found that there's a lot of like did you play hockey growing up i did a little bit okay yeah but I, but I've always found that there's a lot of, um, pa- like crossover between hockey and and volleyball, especially with the the decision making side of things, because hockey's way quicker than any other sport that we right. generally play, and and you know there's that easy transition there. Um, that's crazy that you know they've they've already set it up. So it's I really like the idea of having not only that that social aspect but also having kind of more of a high performance aspect to to give them kind of that aspiration you know like hey you know you can go up to that next level play on the the regional team and maybe kind of see 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 where it goes yeah we're really trying to give them you know as many aspects to build confidence build leadership skills build uh you know cuz the whole idea of the program is volleyball based mm-hmm. But it's to try and provide life skills, right? Which we were fortunate enough to learn growing up through competitive environments. And if you don't have that, it's difficult to replicate it. Um, so to be able to do that has been quite cool. And not only that, it's just the, it's also cool the exposure, you know, because there's definitely pressure if you're in the gym and playing the circle game. But if you all of a sudden fly down to Montreal and you go into a tournament, there's 50 teams in the tournament, there's a new level of pressure. And you, you kind of, you find yourself a little bit in that pressure. Um, and I think it's been really cool to watch the kids grow and adapt and experience that and maybe break down and, and grow and, and to kind of be there to hold their hand if they ever need anything. Cause again, I, I, I don't want to stress it too much, but I sort of took that for granted. You know, I sort of assumed that that's just what everybody had as an opportunity. Um, but it's definitely not the case for, uh, for a lot of people up there. And, you know, the reality is, is life is obviously harsh up there as well. Not only the the physical elements like the temperature and stuff like that. But, um, you know, there's some deep seated issues there. Um, and so to see these kids kind of flourish in the, in the gym has, has been, I mean, quite an honor. How much of your experience has been just being a part of the community, not like outside of the gym where you're, because when you're up there, you're essentially living uh, amongst them. And I'm sure it's, you know, from everything from, you know, the groceries that they get to, you know, on Instagram for a while, you were saying like, I can't go outside because it's minus 50 degrees Celsius outside. And, you know, there, there's a blizzard. So how much of it for you is just the eye opening experience of living in Northern Quebec and, and living amongst the Inuit? Yeah, you know what, the, I gotta say, likely the coolest part of it all is just to see how welcomed we've been. Um, 
you know, going up there, you never really know. You're, you're going to quite an isolated community and you're not really sure how that's going to be received. But the people are just absolutely incredible. We, you know, have been welcomed with open arms. And, and then, yeah, to see the fact that like that specific blizzard you were talking about, it was four days that uh, for three of it, we weren't allowed to go outside. You weren't allowed to leave the house because it would, you know, it's life threatening to leave the house. Um, and I mean, we don't experience that. And on top of that, you're constantly battling you know, if a blizzard comes in, the water truck can't come around <clears throat> and then you don't have water. So you can't shower for a week or you can't wash your dishes or you can't. And if you haven't done the proper grocery shopping, then you might not have any food. I mean, during that time, that specific blizzard, I was having to ration quite, quite strictly to try and make sure that I could have enough water and, and food to last me. Um, but it's quite the experience. And then to realize that this is their reality. This is their day to day life. Um, and then to hear a bunch of the stories of their ancestors and the fact that we're doing this in you know, heated buildings and they were doing it in potentially igloos or, or tents or, you know, different apparatus that are pretty, pretty wild. There's a lot of cool stories there. That's absolutely insane. Like that's, it's kind of those like little things like that, that you, we definitely take it for, for granted because you know, like, Hey, look, there's a blizzard coming, you know, like if it's gross out here, like I can just order Uber Eats, the grocery store is still open, but that's, that's not the case. What is, you know, it's, more and more on TikTok, uh, I see kind of the prices of groceries up north. What's that like? Yeah, so it kind of varies community to community. The furthest southern kind of hub is Kujuac, mm -hmm. and that's where you'll get the less expensive ones because it's just one flight up. Uh, and then it's kind of like concentrically as you go up, it gets a little bit more and more expensive. Uh, and then it'll totally depend on what, what has to happen. I still remember one time it was our, I believe it was our first trip actually, we were in Salowit, which is one of the furthest northern communities, and there, the water treatment plant, all the pipes had froze, so you weren't able to get water. Um, so we went to the grocery store, and we had to get uh, some water. And I, so, I mean, there is snow outside, so desperate times, you could boil it uh, for a certain amount of time and then, you know, drink it. Um, but it was something like, I think it was 17 bucks for two liter, or a liter and a half of, of water, which was definitely a... A tough pill to swallow but you know when it's water you kind of you kind of need it that's absolutely insane like 17 bucks for a few liters of water you know that's yeah. that's crazy that's I, I i can't imagine it so maybe i need to come up there with you and and, and check things out yeah. yeah now you said are you doing this in multiple different communities th uh throughout throughout the region yeah so right now we're in 11 there are 14 slash 15 communities up there um they kind of follow the coastline so up the hudson coast and then down the ngava coast um and we're in 11 of them so to access each of them you can only get there by plane or potentially dogs or um you know snowmobile if you know the if you know the route um but there's no roads from you know montreal up kind of thing you got to fly up there and then uh yeah we it kind of depends what we're doing if we're doing a tournament we'll kind of fly everybody to us if we're doing the regional team we'll meet up there and then we'll all kind of fly down um, or if we're doing these kind of camps, we'll jump from community to community, um, which always can be a logistical nightmare because, I mean, one blizzard happens and every flight is canceled, obviously, right? So it, it gets a little bit crazy at times. Um, but yeah, so we're in 11. Um, it's been a little bit different, too, because each community uh, has different COVID protocols, typically because of maybe the resources that they have or the population uh, or if they've had cases or whatever it may be. Uh, so it, that number's a little bit lower right now, just by what we're actually able to access. Um, but we're kind of, 
I think last trip up, I had, you know, five or six and, and we kind of hit around that number now. Wow. So what is the, the COVID situation up there? Yeah. So on each side, they've got um, sort of a hospital, which has certain resources. Each other community has more of a nursing station. Um, so they don't have the ventilators that you would need if, if you know, cases an outbreak were to happen. Uh, so definitely they have to be um, a little bit more restricted than maybe what would normally happen. So it, there is a two week quarantine before you get up there. Uh, so when we went out there, we had to be basically, we were in an Airbnb for two weeks before flying up there had to get a test during that. Then once you get up there, you got to get tested as well. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of depends once you're up there and you're in that bubble, some communities are pretty open. Uh, you know, if there's only 500 people and nobody's really coming in and out and there's no cases, then they're good to go. They have had some cases throughout there. Uh, not many, but in a, in a handful of communities, there's been a couple. Typically, it's been, um, you know, what construction workers or some, something like that coming up from, from the south. Um, and they've been able to catch it and then, and then, you know, either quarantine or have to go back down or something like that. Um, so there's been no crazy outbreaks, um, fortunately, because, you know, as I mentioned, it's, they're quite isolated. So everybody's kind of, you know, it's a tight knit community. Um, so it would likely spread quickly. Uh, and obviously there's different resources than, you know, a hub like Montreal or something like that. Yeah. It's crazy. Like if there's no hospital nearby or, or anything like that, the, uh, the implications are, are much higher for, for a community like that. Now, uh, what's... yeah, and there, and there is, uh, like a medevac plane is quite common for certain situations. So for most communities, it's about a three hour flight to Montreal. Um, so you can get there in a relatively short period of time, depending on the circumstance. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I feel like that's a, you know, an extreme circumstance yeah. right? when yeah. once you're, once you're going to the helicopter, that's going to come in and, and get you out to Montreal. That's, that's an extreme situ yeah. situation. What's the language like situation like up there? Because you are in Quebec. So are they speaking French? Are they speaking English? Is it Inuit? Is, is that their? It's, it's a Anuktitut. Anuktitut. Is there, is there sort of uh first language? Uh, and then I would say there's probably a little bit more English than French. Uh, I think a lot of that comes from Hollywood or movies or, you know, whatever they kind of see on, on TV and stuff. Just general media. Yeah, exactly. General media. Um, that being said, most communities have school in English or French. Um, so you can kind of pick and choose. Uh, in smaller communities, that might not be the case, but in kind of the bigger ones. Bigger being like, you know, uh, more than a thousand. Um but definitely a nook to toot is something that, well, first of all, it's very difficult because we've been trying, um, but is also something that I think a lot of the elders are concerned about losing just because of the fact that media is in English. So predominantly, so, you know, in each school, there's an to toot class as well and, and stuff like that. Um, and I think we're trying to do whatever we can to learn as much as we can, because it's a, it's a really cool language. My name is Dailu Yamisi. Is uh, Tyler James? That's so dope. That's TJ. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of a note to toot, then then kind of a blend of of English and French. Wow, that's that's crazy. Is there any like communication barriers, or you know, is it easier with the kids than I would almost assume it's easier with the kids than it is with some of the adults? Yeah, you know what? It kind of depends. Um, like, uh, yeah, it kind of. Some kids maybe won't just like, maybe they don't speak English at, at home at all. And maybe they are in the French schooling. So it is a little bit more difficult. Um, I always find it the beautiful thing about being in the gym is, you know, sport is a bit of a universal language. And I mean, I've found this with my professional career as well. 
um, once you get in there, you can kind of show by doing, right? You don't have to necessarily communicate, communicate it out. Um, definitely like the younger kids who, who haven't really reached the age of that media or social media or watching that many movies or whatever it is, probably have a lower level of English just because they might not have it in their home. Um, but most, you know, the high school kids have a pretty good, pretty good take on English. Yeah. yeah I mean, I bet they're on TikTok and watching YouTube and all that stuff yeah. when, when it, when it, when it permits. I know that when you were on the, in the blizzard, I wanted to see if you want to do one of these and you're like, I, I don't know if the Wi-Fi is going to be able to handle it. Yeah. That's another thing. They don't, uh, they don't have cell service in, in most of the communities. Uh, so it's only Wi-Fi. And I mean, it's, it's kind of give or take if it's, you know, if the weather's been good and the Wi-Fi is going really strong or, you know, whatever it happens to be. Uh, so yeah, it's a little bit give and take there as well. It sounds like such a different experience. It sounds like, you know, this it sounds very fulfilling. Well, I, I think it's interesting because volleyball's had such a profound impact on my life, right? With the but that's always been high performance, mm -hmm. right? It's always been okay, I want to strive to be the best player in the world and I want to go to the Olympics and I want to win these medals and I want to do this and that. Uh so to go up there and see volleyball play such a different role, um, but almost a more profound role, right? Like it, it gave me a lot of direction, but it gives um them the same thing. So it's been it's been neat to see the different aspects that that a sport like volleyball can provide. Do they have any awareness of kind of who you are and and what you've done, or to them are you just TJ who comes to teach them volleyball? Yeah, again, again, kind of a give and take. I mean, sometimes when we go to certain uh, communities, people will maybe have watched the Olympics, or you know, somebody will hype me up before we show up, and they'll ask me questions about it, and we'll talk about it. Uh, but and then in other cases, you know, that they weren't really understand the context of what what that means what the olympics mean or or whatever that kind of is um and there's always there's always funny experiences because when especially when we're you know with the regional team or something like that i'm i'm just their coach right i'm just like that adult that bosses them around and they don't want to be bossed around you know so there's been some funny experiences like i still i still remember going to uh, our one tournament just outside montreal and i went to register the team i'm running on like no sleep taking care of you know 12 14 year old girls so we're running around we're super hectic super busy and I go to register the team and I remember the uh, lady behind the desk happened to recognize me and like asked for a photo and whatever it was. And, and all the girls were like, what do you want a photo with him for? Like, what are you doing? And I remember Kaisa just laughing so hard because they're all like, they're getting a photo with your boyfriend. Like, what do they do? You know? And it was, it was pretty funny because to them, I was literally just their, just their coach. I was, I was their ball boy basically. So that's crazy. Like you've got other kids on the team who are like, Hey, you do you know, do you know the other kids on other teams? Like, do you know who that is? That's TJ Sanders. <laughs> he plays for, he plays for the Maple Volleys and your girls yeah. are being like, that's fine. We make fun of him all the time. Yeah. He made me dinner last night. It's fine. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> that's crazy. Now is this, I'm guessing this is something that you guys are going to continue with, um, kind of indefinitely. Yeah, we definitely have no, uh, no plans to depart or anything like that. It's, it's always a bit of a, a juggling act because it is so far, like, you know, it's far and it's isolated. Um, so it does depend on a lot of factors. Um, but yeah, we'll be, I mean, likely lifelong connected in some way. Right. That's, that's fantastic. It's, I've really, always really kind of wanted to talk to you about this because I see you on Instagram or on whatever on social media posting about it. Um, and I mean, in one way, I know it's been frustrating for you with your injury over the past few years, but if you look at it through another lens, it's it's maybe a bit of a silver lining because it has offered you and afforded you the time to be able to go and, you know, make these connections with these these kids up north. Yeah, it's been it's been pretty profound. I mean, I 
it was really difficult, uh, kind of post-2018 World Championships, right? My world kind of came crashing down a little bit. Uh, all my hopes and dreams and plans. I mean, I was anticipating to play for another decade at least, right? I was, I was hoping to keep going at maybe a couple more quads. Um, and all that kind of had to change quite quickly. And when I had got connected with the program, uh, I was a little bit anxious, I guess you could say at first, just because it was so isolated. My back was still kind of in a rough place. Uh, I didn't know what ambitions I had. Le- I didn't know what direction I wanted them to go. Um, but then the second I got up there and I could, yeah, I, I got to break it down a little bit, right. I got to find volleyball in a different way. Um, and honestly, it made me really enjoy the game in a, in a such a new version of itself. Um, and yeah, so going up there has been, it really has been a silver lining. It's been, I mean, now I, I think if you would have asked me, you know, going into the last Olympics, it's like, Oh, why do you want to win the Olympics or something like that? A lot of that would have been pretty selfish. You know, it would have been like, Oh, I want to be the best in the world. I want to, you know, the glory, the whatever it is, right. I want my name to be on the plaque or whatever. Um, but I think going through this injury, going up there, just becoming a little bit more grateful for, for what I've had growing up for what I, you know, have experienced throughout the years. Uh, and then getting a chance to come back has been this, you know, kind of trans transcendence of, of experience of, of what volleyball is. Uh, so I find myself pretty lucky that, you know, I have, I've had that. It's been, it's been very cool. Yeah. It sounds incredible. And I mean, it sounds like you've gained some fans for life too. So that's a plus as well. Yeah. And they, and they have as well. I think it's, I think it's mutual. Oh, fantastic. Now moving forward, you talked a bit about, about your kind of outlook now, you know, you're back in the gym, you're training. Um, there's definitely been up points when I've talked to you where you weren't sure if what was going to happen next. Um, so how is the, how is the body feeling right now? How, how are you feeling after, you know, some, some time in the gym and some time training? Yeah, that, you know, again, like I mentioned earlier, the, the reality of the injury is that I kind of can't set certain expectations. Uh, and I mean, I learned that most abruptly with the 22 world championships. I mean, I initially got the injury <clears throat> just a few weeks before that, uh, and had, you know, high hopes of still playing. Uh, to the point where I was like almost delusional uh, in some senses, which is, I mean, the reality of you were still like suited up on the bench for the majority of part of, of that 2018. World yeah. Well, and I mean, I mean, there was times where I, you know, we'd go down to breakfast, couldn't really walk, just couldn't really sit there. Couldn't like, couldn't lie down, couldn't do anything. And in my head, I was still going to be playing in the game four hours later, which, you know, I, right. There's a little bit of this like disconnect of what the reality and, and my kind of delusion. And this is also um, volleyball people. So there's no NBA cortisol shots or anything like that happen on, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, on the sidelines. You know, there's no trainers coming with some magic serum to, uh, to make them better. Yeah. I mean, it was volleyball Canada definitely was trying everything they could. I, I mean, I saw a lot of doctors in Slovenia and different people in all, all over the place. Um, and we, and we were trying uh, to get it back. Uh, but just the reality that, you know, it didn't really happen. I mean, I'm not sure if we've talked about this story, but it didn't really happen until uh, I believe it was the morning training of, of Brazil, right? We're just doing serve pass. Um, and at that point, I still couldn't really set off passes just because they were a little too erratic. No offense to the passers. Um, but it was just something that we had to, okay, I don't want to move too much. So so Steph at the time was, was just tossing me kind of free balls off of that. Mm-hmm. And he tossed one. And I, literally all I did was take one step forward and put my weight on my right leg and just kind of collapsed like my whole side of my body just kind of gave out 
that I finally realized, oh, I physically can't even take one step. Like that's probably a sign that, you know, something should happen. And I do remember I kind of had a little bit of like a whirlwind breakdown in that moment because I was still having that delusion of, oh, I'll still play against Brazil tonight. No problem. Um, so then when that happened, it was like, oh, wow, no, the more you push or the more you try to, um, you know, compete, the further down this rabbit hole you're going to go, you know, the darker it's going to get. Uh, with maybe the long-term consequences of what you're doing. So then, you know, coming back home and and basically being sidelined, like I was lying on my back for three months kind of thing. Uh, and have, that's a lot of time to, to be in your own head. Um, and then, yeah, it just kind of changes the perspective a little bit. So my perspective coming back to volleyball, I mean, I, I had the luxury of competing a couple of times with the national team uh, over the past few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, all those have been really great because obviously Volleyball Canada was there you know, our national team was there when it all fell apart. So they understood uh, the consequences and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I gave it one shot in Poland, um, which is a different story, right? Like all of a sudden now I'm not a national team athlete. I'm a little bit more of a commodity, right? I'm, I'm being hired to perform a task. Um, and if I'm not, you know, practicing in the way that they want me to practice or, you know, if I, if I just were doing things a little bit differently, there's now a, you know, performance-based salary on the line. Um, and if I, you know, can't practice three hours every day before a game, then, you know, maybe we have to come to a a mutual agreement and and decide to part ways with the, also with the hopes that, you know, I wanted to play in another Olympics. I think if I had the choice, could I play another pro season or could I play another Olympics? It was a pretty easy one for me. Um, so yeah, I kind of ended up making that choice and, and then making sure that I always had the same expectations that I, that I always had. I, I couldn't just keep pushing like I once did, which has been, I mean, it's extremely difficult because, you know, as a high performer, the aspect of just pushing yourself is ingrained and there's a lot of positive reasons for that, right? You're, you're pushing yourself more than the average person likely would. Um, so when you're unable to do that, not only physically, but psychologically, that throws you off a little bit. Um, so it's been this, it's definitely been a, a winding journey to come back to Vancouver and then, you know, not really be able to practice for those games and then have a standing float serve all, is all I have. And, uh, and then to come up with that win, it was like, okay, maybe, you know, with a little bit of creativity and patience, we can, we can still achieve something. And then my goal for nations league and the Olympics was to be at an, another level higher than that um, without obviously, you know, burning it all down. Can you, I, I, cause obviously I know, but I'm not sure if some of the listeners know, can you break down your injury uh, a little bit for us without, you know, divulging too much information? Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, my L5, which is a vertebrae in your lower back, kind of the, almost the last part or the last part of your lumbar spine. Um, there's these facet joints that kind of connect each of your vertebrae and both of my facet joints are fractured. Um, and that's not great, but also not that uncommon. Um, you know, especially with a, a chronic sport like volleyball, you're getting a lot of pressure in certain areas. Um, due to certain imbalances, maybe of like landing or whatever it is, uh, a lot of pressure goes through there. The issue with mine was that it never healed. So it never went back. So technically, you know, there's some issues there with the fact that those facet joints are no longer connected. So my spine moves in a very interesting way because of that. Uh, you know, the spine is quite a sensitive thing. And once one area is compromised, the rest of the the spine kind of has to respond right the the pressure the all that has to go somewhere um so because of that there's some other 
underlying issues that, that come up. And then there's always the, you know, the reality that there's no surgery or fix for that right now. There's no technology besides just kind of fusing my whole back um, to solve it. So I kind of have to manage that with, you know, load management with, you know, new techniques with, you know, being creative however I can. Um, which again is also, is also been kind of a cool, I mean, I don't want to sound too much like a masochist, but it's been kind of a cool experience to have to learn about my body in such a more intimate way. I mean, I definitely took it for granted. I didn't have many injuries. Yeah. I rolled my ankle every now and then, but, uh, I didn't have any deeply serious, like life changing injuries. Um, and still I, I recall like after 2018, one of my biggest concerns obviously was volleyball and kind of this identity crisis, but it was like, how's this going to affect me in 10 years? Am I going to be able to like pick up my kids? Am I going to be able to go for a hike? Am I going to like all that seemed kind of unlikely at the time. Um, so the fact that now I'm able to go back to Gatineau and, and train a little bit and, and compete and get the adrenaline going and get the testosterone going has been, uh, quite a luxury. You know, you mentioned that, that identity crisis and it must've come at such a weird time for you because in a lot of ways, you personally were kind of like on the, on the top of the world. You know, you guys qualified for that, that 2016, uh, Olympics. You guys had that great showing there bronze at world league in 2017 great outing at nations league in, in in 2018 you know moving towards that that world championships and then everything kind of fell down at the uh was it the wagner turn the the wagner memorial tournament yeah. in in poland where everything just kind of uh fell um so yeah that that mental run for you must have been a quite a bit of a dive yeah i mean it, it's it's definitely a bummer when when you're an ambitious kid you know i i we were definitely climbing. And I mean, at the time I would look back to my 2016 Olympic games and I would be like, Oh, like terrible. You know, this guy is a terrible setter. Um, and we were, yeah, I was definitely making the move of, and, and the whole team was right. You could kind of feel it right after our world league bronze. And then 2018 world league, you know, we were using that as prep mm-hmm. yeah. for the world championship. So our, our rankings and how we finished weren't indicative of where the team was at so we're going into world championships thinking like we legitimately had the expectation of meddling and i held on to that and that's why it was this weird battle of how much do i give and take leading up to it after the huber wagner with you know do i train super hard to make sure that i'm still you know whatever can handle the load of a full match or do i totally ease off and and see what we do with there um yeah it it was kind of uh, poor timing because yeah i was really beginning to reach a bit of a peak uh, of my career. I mean, I was hoping it was going to keep going. Um, but I was definitely playing much better than I was, uh, previous to that. And a lot of other guys were at the same time, right. We were kind of on this trajectory, uh, that kind of had to, uh, take a halt a bit. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, looking no, enough, looking back now, look looking forward. Well, actually, no, let's look back, but to a, a better time. Let's look back to January, 2020. Um, you did manage to come in for one match and ultimately it was maybe the biggest one, um, that three, two win against Cuba. And if you're listening to this show right now or, or watching it, you already know what happened in that game. It was quite possibly the greatest Canadian volleyball win of all time. It's definitely, definitely up there. Can you, can, can we revisit that game a, a little bit? Because, you know, going down two nothing to Cuba, um, you know, had kind of gotten you know, whacked a little bit by Cuba at the Norseka Championships. They handled us pretty good in the in the semifinals. Um, and then, you know, you guys are down 2-0. What changed? 
Like what was what was what was it that made it so that you guys were able to pull off the reverse sweep? Yeah, I mean that game is definitely definitely pretty crazy. <laughs> I've I've had to talk a lot about it over the last kind of year, but it's one I'll never get tired of of talking about. Um, what changed? Well, I think there's a couple things. I think um, you know the reality is some some of our guys definitely got hot. You know, we had some guys that started playing some unbelievable volleyball. Um, which is difficult to do when you're, when you're down 2-0. Uh, but I think the underlying, the underlying tone that was the game changer was how patient we were. You know, I think going down 2-0 to a team that was playing very well, it wasn't like we were playing poorly. Uh, I actually thought, and numbers-wise, we weren't playing that bad. Uh, they were just out playing us, which is a difficult spot. I mean, if you're, oh, we missed too many serves or we, you know, we're not passing very well, that will likely change. Statistically, that will change. Um, but in a match where you're just kind of getting outplayed, it's, it's difficult to understand where you can take cards from. Right. Uh, so the fact that in that third set, I mean, guys came out firing, like really fiery, but patient, right. That's a, that's a difficult balance to maintain. Uh, and then I think once that happened, I really think that third set, it kind of set the dominoes in effect because you could see them unable to hold on to that patience. Um, and the fact that we were, was, yeah, it was quite an experience. I mean, after we won that third set, I was like, okay, easy. Like we got it in the bag now. Uh, then we decided to go down what four, one or something like that in the fifth, but it was weird because I still, I mean, and, and this is my perspective on the court. I never lost that sense of, you know, it never got to the point where there's this sense of urgency that it's panic. It was this sense of urgency that no, we're comfortable and we know what we're going to do. Um, and I think just because of that third set, we, we allowed ourselves to have that confidence. Um, and then, like I said, there were some individual performances that were pretty incredible, um, and guys that stepped up in big ways. Uh, but I, I do think like, I don't know if those would have been, uh, possible without that foundation of a, of a patient group. And I think that that's something I look back to our, you know, it's a poetic story. You look back to our last qualifier against Cuba and there wasn't, an ounce of patience on the court, right? It was pure panic. Uh, and I think that in four years, get, getting to see a team mature, like we did a, a team, a coaching staff, a, a, an organization mature, how we did was, was quite profound. It was, it was a cool, it was a cool thing to be a part of. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That, that patience definitely wasn't there four years before uh, in Edmonton. I mean, when we went to Edmonton, that was before, that was back when Cuba was still, like they didn't have Simon, they didn't have the guys that, that they do now. And, you know, you guys had beaten them handedly pretty much for, for years. You know, I know I went into Edmonton that year pretty much thinking like, we are going here to get our spot at the Olympics. And it wasn't ever a question if we were going to lose. It was, it was, you know, and even talking to people before the matches, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. We're going to be able to qualify at home. But there was never that thought that Cuba was going to beat us. And, of, of course, they did. Then you guys went on that phenomenal run and, and got in there at the, the last second. But that patience also wasn't there in Winnipeg, which was just like, you know, going back four years is something. But just going back, it was like three months, September to, to, to January. Uh, I still remember the guys won the first set um, and then second and third set and the third set at one point, like Hogue's looking, you know, coach Hogue is looking down the bench. Gord's injured. So you can't go there. And he's just kind of scratching his head. And I've never seen him look so like, con not confused, but just like, what do I do? Um, and then you're right. Like even after that second set and we had lost both of them, there was still 
there was still that air of hope. Um, do you think that patience is a huge uh, part of the identity of Canadian volleyball now? Well, I think there's been a huge shift in the ability to convey that, uh, you know, to convey patience. I think back in, honestly, 2016, we lacked that deeply. You know, it was a, it was our, I mean, we had a lot of finishes that were very disappointing. Look at Pan Am games, losing to Argentina. That was a, you know, lack of a better term. We choked. You look at that. Oh, Gord, Gord told everyone on CBC. We yeah. choked. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, yeah, not to quote Gord here. No, I won't quote Gord, but um, no, but there was a lot of, um, it, it, it became a bit of, that was our identity. We were choking. We were able to beat all the teams we needed to beat. Uh, you know, we might upset a big team here or there, but when it mattered, we weren't able to get the win. Uh, and I think that took, there was a lot of growing pains in that. And I, and I do attribute a lot of that to, um, and I think a lot of the guys do to bringing in a mental performance coach to trying to dissect what the actual issues are. I mean, if it happens once, okay, maybe it's a coincidence, but it became a pattern. And so we kind of had to relearn some habits to get out of that pattern and uh, pretty fascinating to see it later, you know, come into fruition. I think that's not only in that game in Vancouver, but you look at that world league bronze medal uh, you look at some of the games in 2018 in, in the World League there. We had we had a bunch of games where, you know, we needed far. I mean, the first game of the Olympics, right? That was kind of a, that was another quick turnaround where we were able to. I mean, that was more adrenaline driven than anything, but uh, we were still able to, you know, be more patient than we were earlier that year. Uh, so it's definitely becoming more of our game. Uh, I think it's something that in an odd way, there is a lot of parallel to the fact that we don't have an institution of volleyball, like a lot of other countries do. I mean, if you're, if you're Polish, it's, it's easy to be patient because you're going to almost get unlimited opportunities, right? I think for Canada, a big reason why we were feeling the pressure we did was we don't know if we're going to get back to these opportunities. We don't know if we're going to have a game in 2016 against Cuba to go to the Olympics, right? Maybe next time it has to be against the U S maybe, you know, X, Y, Z, right? Uh, so the fact that, we're not just put in situations where we have this, you know, infinite amount of resources and, and, you know, quality players. Um, it forced us to have to rise to the occasion more often. Um, and I definitely think even in looking at younger guys now, like I think the, the contrast between the Olympics and the 2017 bronze medal game is great to see because the 2016 team, we had a lot of older experienced guys in that 2017 bronze, uh, game we had a lot of younger guys Blair was the youngest oldest guy on the team he was 29 yeah exactly so to see that and to see uh you know the ability to still maintain that composure at that level that's something that was learned you know the program had to learn that um and I think the fact that we were able to then again you know showed its face in, in Vancouver do you think Argentina is a bit of the team's Achilles heel um no, I, and, but I only say no because I think there's always this expectation that we should win, uh, and then we lose hope, we lose grasp of that patience. I think if you look at purely results based, for sure there's the Pan Am Games, for sure there was China, um, but you know I look at that as more of a coincidence that they could have been any team. Mm -hmm. You know we didn't come up, we didn't show up in those two games. Uh, and if you don't show up in any game against any good team, you're not going to win. I mean, there's also that that one. What year was it? Was it 2015 where you guys had won, actually won the game in Argentina 
for okay. at World League in, in Group Two. Justin Duff got the got the kill, and the head referee overruled both of the baseline referees, gave the point to Argentina, and they came back and won it in five, and then won the next game, and uh, you know moved on. So the, it it always seems to me that there's a the, a bit of a, a hiccup, and we also saw uh, I guess you could say a hiccup against Argentina at the uh, Olympic qualifiers um, earlier in August of of, of 2019. Yeah, I, you know that that is that is fair. Those are kind of three instances where it's a team that I think we had expectations to beat, uh, and we didn't. But the beauty of that is that you know we're going to get another chance. <laughs> so the reality is, like that was the that was the greatest thing about the the whole Cuba experience was like, all right, well, hope you know we got to redeem ourselves. And I think that's why that Vancouver game had so many layers to it was that it was this sense of redemption. Absolutely, a huge sense sense of redemption. But as you said, like you know we aren't expected to be at the Olympics every single time. Like that's, that's not a given playing for team Canada. So the fact that you guys were able to qualify for back-to-back Olympics for the first time in programs history, I mean, that was also a huge, huge part of it too. Like they're just the, the, the whole part of it, having lost to Cuba previously, the, the, the history of losing to Cuba on home soil was bad. Like you guys really got the monkey off your backs with that one. Yeah. And you know what? I kind of, even going into the weekend, I was like, it's already written itself. History's already written. itself. we're going to win. It's going to be in some epic fashion. I did not. I wish somebody told me it was going to be a five set match when I had a back brace and a standing float serve. But, you know, I I felt like the stars were aligning a little bit there, Uh, especially just the fact, okay, we're back in Canada again. That was another thing where, you know, we, we weren't performing great in Canada. It was another thing that when, you know, a lot of countries you're playing at home, you get this home court advantage. But for us, it leads to not only a lot of distractions, like, you know, there's family members that need tickets or there's, you know, people come to see the game or whatever. Um, but, and the want, like you want to put on a good performance for Canadians. Um, and we were unable to do that for several years, whether it's the Pan Am games, whether it's that Cuba game. And so the fact that not only we showed uh, that we could be patient in big moments, like the Olympics and like the world league bronze medal, but also that we got to redeem ourselves and, and play a quality performance in, uh, in Canada as well. Yeah, absolutely. That that and the 2012 win over Brazil uh, in in the the World League, the first year that we were at World League, hands down the two biggest wins uh, for me, anyways, uh, for Canadian volleyball on Canadian soil. I will have one one thing to add though about the win uh, over Cuba. I do think that some of the um, uh, accolades should go to uh, myself and the boys from Kitts Beach, who are down <laughs> right behind the court, chirping the crap out of uh, Lopez all game long, whenever he was going to serve, whenever we were doing anything. Uh, and we started that after the second set. So third set onwards, we were chirping, and that's kind of when you guys turned it on. So I'm going to give myself a pat on the back for, for that one. Now, Rightfully so. Rightfully, I'll, I'll chime in there too. I do think, you know, Canadian spectators, I mean, I don't want to beat a, an old drum here, but Canadian spectators tend to be a little bit more timid. And, and I'm also, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, I think Canadian demeanor, we're bashing on that. We, we have bashed on it quite aggressively. It's not a bad thing, but the fact that we got, and maybe it was just the fact that it was such an exciting game. You know, if we would have won 3-1 in some weird fashion, maybe it wouldn't have been the same way, but you could feel the energy in that building. Um, and you could feel that every, every Canadian knew it was at stake and they wanted to watch volleyball in the Olympics. And, you know, you could feel that, which, you know, a lot of times I don't feel. In, in some in some games, I almost feel like sometimes we expect to treat it like tennis. And I mean, even there was a scenario in the next game against Puerto Rico where security tried to kick me out, 
And Duraco had to come running from the other side and being like, well, no, like this isn't happening. And I just kind of had to be like, guys, like this, like this is completely fine. You know, we're not saying anything mean about them. Um, I think they took offense because I told Maurice Torres to go back to Japan, like to his pro contract. Um, so maybe they took that in the, the the wrong sense. I'm not I'm not entirely sure, but it was interesting. I mean, they did have the Davis Cup cup in that venue kind of a few weeks prior, so maybe that's what they're like. Tennis, you know, we expect everyone to be quiet, but right. I mean, as you know, when you go play overseas, there's vuvuzelas, there's people lighting off fireworks. Like it's it's a, it's a show. Yeah. Oh, I definitely. In a lot of in a lot of countries, it's pretty crazy. And like I said, there's huge home court advantage. I mean, uh, even Japan, which are extremely respectful people that gym is nuts when you show up to those games it's pretty impressive and i think that's also sheer volume i mean there's twenty thousand people in the in the stadium but you know the reality that a lot of these countries do have huge advantages because of that um you know it was cool to see a little bit of that come out in canada fair enough now looking forward to to this season um obviously things are going to be a little bit different you've got the vnl bubble going down in in june Super excited for that, uh, and then of course the the Olympic Games. Um, what what do you think is is the outlook for for Team Canada right now? It's such a weird scenario because we haven't seen you guys compete since January, and you know you guys have all been apart. Um, but we've been seeing some pretty good uh, results from some of the guys overseas. So what's the kind of general? What's the feeling amongst the team? I'm sure you guys have a group chat or something. You know, what's the feeling kind of coming into this season to this national team season? Yeah. And I mean, not only is it bizarre because we haven't been able to play, but we also haven't been able to watch our competition play, right? Like nobody's kind of been together, um, which is difficult in itself to assess, right? I mean, <laughs> there's so many statistics when we're going into a big tournament typically uh, that we're leaning on and we're kind of using uh, to our advantage. So it's definitely difficult, difficult to monitor or assess that. Um, the only cool thing that I can say about that is, I mean, this is just another opportunity for us to see how far this level of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to the word patience. I'm sure there's a better one, but patience in these environments, it's going to be bizarre. We haven't competed together in over a year. Um, we have, I mean, it's going to come on. There's going to be a huge, there's a huge gap in international volleyball. So that's going to create all sorts of problems, whether that be like connection based or game plan based or whatever, right. There's going to be young guys that are now better and old guys that are different. And it's going to, there's going to be an adjustment period. Um, but it's going to be another test, right? Like, I mean, the, the cool thing is, is the last four years has been sort of that test to get us here. And it's going to be an opportunity for us to have to show what we've kind of learned and through all that. Um, and I think the demeanor with the team is we're going to try and put, use that to our advantage. Right. I mean, we, definitely have the identity of we don't have a pro league we're not you know superstars famous all over the world where a lot of our competition is so we've always had that kind of um, grittier mentality and i think this is a perfect example of okay things are going to be weird there's going to be weird lockdowns and quarantines and bubbles and you know what's going to happen okay how do we turn that into an advantage that's that's probably the best outlook to to have uh, <clears throat> of it all Sorry, I had a tickle in my throat there. My, I guess my tea bag is, is opening up in my tea here. Um, are you, you know, obviously you're not playing professionally right now. Are you aware of how other guys are doing? Are you watching pro volleyball or do you just kind of turn that off and being like, you know, I'm going to go spend some time up, up north with, uh, with my girlfriend? You know, I, again, kind of goes on and off. I 
recently I've definitely been more dialed in. Um, obviously because there's, there's kind of more at stake, right? I want to know where the guys are at, not only physically, because there's the aspect of, okay, how are they performing, but also where are they going to come back to the team mentally, right? Did they just win a championship, but maybe they're on this high? Did they just, you know, underperform personally, or did they overperform personally, but the team underperformed? Uh, so I definitely like to keep tabs on where everybody's at just to see, you know, what the dynamic will be like when we all get back together. Um, there's been some times, you know, especially right after the world championships there where I found it quite difficult to watch volleyball. Um, for a lot of it was because I just wanted to play. I mean, it's like any kid, right? You put them in a gym, all of a sudden it's like, okay, I want to start doing what they're doing. Um, so that was difficult, but I've, I've kind of kept my finger on the pulse a little bit, uh, recently. Um, and especially just to try and see what's actually going on. What are these pro teams doing through COVID? What are the leagues doing? You know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, this, this question actually ha comes from our Discord, uh, my Discord channel uh, for Volleyball Source. So if you guys are listening, come join our Discord. It's great. We just got a bunch of volleyball nerds who watch volleyball all day long. Literally, we've <laughs> got great. people from Japan, Thailand. Like, we've got people in Italy and Poland who have a, t a ties to clubs. So we know things happen in the Discord before, you know, the, the press does. So join us. It's going to be in the, in the show notes uh, on the YouTube channel. Um, but... One of the questions actually comes from 51VB. Um, what's your uh, thoughts on Pavel Pankov's uh, year this year at Dynamo Moscow? Are you aware of him? Have you have you watched him at all? Because he's quickly becoming one of my favorite setters uh, in the world, almost. And yeah, I mean, that's because I've, you haven't been setting. I mean, we have. Yeah, to, we yeah have I appreciate to that. that. I appreciate that. I've um, I've seen a little bit of him. I uh, he's clearly quite physically gifted. You know, he's a pretty big dude. Uh, and plays kind of that style of volleyball. Um, but I've always found the professional game is very different than the international game, especially when it comes to setting. Um, so? It's very, well, the international game is I'm going to use data for the last five years and try and create algorithms to take down blockers, right? That's kind of what it looks like. When you're on a professional team, the reality is most teams have not been together that long. So game plans are less intense. It's more tendency based it's more how do you lean into your strengths based and then how do you execute like professional volleyball is very much about executing international volleyball is very much about okay how do you exploit um and i think sorry go ahead. I, I just said that's interesting like i've i can 100 percent see that distinction but i've never made that connection myself right and so when i when i see guys having breakout seasons um professionally that doesn't always translate internationally and vice versa. You know, some guys might be super numbers based and be a huge asset to their national team and then struggle more professionally because maybe it's more personal, right? It's more on them to achieve something. Uh, maybe they don't fit into the, the mold of the team as well. So I agree. Obviously he's had, I mean, that team is I, another, another point aside fact to that is I do find it interesting that, that team is extremely talented. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I haven't watched him enough with other layers of players to make an assessment. I mean, I never really evaluate a setter on watching him play a couple times, especially because there's a lot of setters out there and a lot of any position really that can look good, right? In one instance. Um, and obviously he's done a lot more than that by winning the championship and all that sort of stuff. They were quite do dominant this year. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what that will look like or how that will, uh, translate into the international game. And I haven't, 
evaluated him yet. You know, each team that we're playing, we're evaluating different players and we're assessing different players. So I can't give you my take fully because I, you know, I haven't done that yet. So when, when you say you're evaluating other players, are you kind of going down the roster and like you've got like, okay, these guys are going to be, this is who we think the 12 is going to be for Poland. Let's start watching them. Let's start looking at their tendencies. Let's start doing what, what they're doing. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I think like most teams, there's, there's guys that you got to kind of look out for. I mean, it, it'll all depend on how fresh they are. You know, if they're a guy that's been, if it's Pete Novakowski, okay, I've, I've known him for a decade, right? So it's easy to know what he's going to do, where he's going to be. So maybe there's less attention there. If there's some new guy, which there always is, right? Every team has a new guy. And you'll always see another fascinating thing that I, that I really enjoy about volleyball is you'll always see almost every big country or high-level international team will have some new breakout star every year but that breakout star won't always last. And I find it interesting because so a, a lot of the reason that that happens is because there's just less information. There's less data on them. Maybe they only do hit cross, but you don't know that to the extent of how extreme that is. Right. So especially, you know, if we'll play teams and they'll, some new guy will come in and they'll end up dominating. I'm never really surprised by that because we haven't made that assessment yet. So we can't approach that player the same way we would that is somebody that we've played against for a decade, you know? And I, so it's, it, yeah, it's the same thing that goes back to the the Russian center and the same thing that will go back to a lot of guys. We'll be focusing more on the fresh faces and then we'll be seeing, okay, these other older guys that we know really well, are they still about the same or where are they at relative to what they're doing so that we can make our game plan accordingly? Wow. That's uh that's pretty crazy. Do you think that's one of the reasons why we've seen the rise of, you know, the Canadian men's program over the past decade is that assessment has just gotten way better under the tutelage of head of head coach Glenn Hogue? I, I yeah, and I think it's happened not only in a like a concrete setting like Volleyball Canada, but just in a player to player basis. I mean, a lot of these guys are playing against the other best players in the world all the time. Um, so you just get to know them a little bit better. Uh, and not only does that affect you physically by watching tendencies, but psychologically, right. And understanding why they're trying to, I mean, I, I preach this quite a bit, but if I'm looking at a blocker, I'm not actually looking at what they physically want to do. Right. I'm looking at what they want to do. Like, why do they want to do that? Are they always hedging to the 31 because they're really weak going the opposite way? You know, like what is the point of them doing that? Uh, and if you can understand that, then you can start to manipulate. Right. And I think that's happened in not only through a function of Glenn and the national team and then Steph taking over in the national team and then back to Glenn, um, but in just a a player-to-player basis. Like, I think a lot of the guys approach the game in that way and understand their opponent in that way that is much different than the early years of me with the national team. And it could also be just, I mean, Glenn preached a lot early on that international competition is so important. And that's part of the reason, right? Watching a guy on video is one thing, playing against him and like feeling what he wants to do is another thing. And I mean, you did mention that, like how guys playing professionally is so different. I mean, if you look back 10 years ago, we had a handful of guys, you know, you mentioned the NEP and the NEP now is mainly for, for younger kids, but the NEP back then or full-time training center back then was for our national team guys who couldn't find contracts, right? It was, it was the, the, the guys on the A team who we needed to keep fresh for the summertime who couldn't find a contract. And that shift in how many guys, like we had five players playing in Italy this year, which, you know, is 
is phenomenal. Not in Poland, which which is rare, but still you've got guys playing in, in all of the top leagues or, or around the world, and, and they're just seeing that 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 level on, on, on a regular basis. Do you see Team Canada as, you know, a metal threat heading into the, the Tokyo Olympics? Yeah, first I'll touch on that because uh, I, I just thought that's such a great point looking at the the depth of professionals uh, that we have over there. I think it's it's like astounding, right? The, the amount of guys that we have over there and not only over there on teams, but as crucial parts of the teams as, you know, maybe this is their first or second year and they're, you know, on the B team, but yet they're still in these big leagues and stuff like, like it's, it's a whole nother world. Again, I, I hate to go back to it, but you know, early on when I joined the team, there was not a lot of guys over there and it was, you know, if you're getting looks, it's not at Italy and Russia, it's at, you know, different, different leagues. So it's, it's pretty cool to see uh, what's happening. And I mean, it's such a, it's such a proud moment to see that happen because you know, it's going to be in good hands, right? There's going to be a huge, you know, depth chart of players that we can kind of pick from in the future, which is really, really exciting Um, for the Olympics. Wow. That's really interesting. I think we're honestly, in my head, it's, we can win the gold medal, obviously, but I have to think that way, right? Like I, it's, it's just ingrained in who I am. I also thought that, well, actually, no, I shouldn't say that. I, I would have probably told you that last Olympics, but maybe not felt it in the same way. Um, so maybe I'm either more delusional now in a certain sense, but I firmly believe that. I mean, if you look at the caliber, I don't think like going into this Olympics, I don't think we've had this many weapons as we've ever had. Like even looking back at, especially some of the guys over their professional years right now, I mean, we're going to have an offense that I, or like the, the setter won't have to work very hard for, (laughs) you know, I think in times, uh, right. Like it's kind of our job to, okay, how do we put the pieces together to try and get the most out of this offense? And I think it's going to be quite easy uh, going into this summer. And I think because of that, it gives us the opportunity that there will be no upsets, right? Us beating Brazil will not be an upset. It will be us executing properly. Um, As opposed to in the past, you know, 2016 beating the U S there was an upset. And I think everybody recognizes that and that's great. Uh, So to, you know, beating the U S this time, I really don't think it will be an upset. I think it will be, Oh, we out executed them today. And so we got, we got the better of them. I mean, Americans will still think it's an upset um, because they think that they think they're number one. But yeah. tr- trust me, the the Americans on the disca- on our, in our Discord chat get uh, get beat up sometimes by the Canadian. Although yeah. I have been I have been accused of being maybe too much of a homer at times. Uh, me, yeah, ne- never. Um, it's funny because I definitely I my feet sit in like two camps. There's part of me that is along with you and I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like we can, we can win any game that we're in and we can hundred percent go and win that gold medal. But then there's the other part of me that, um, you know, not, I wouldn't say being a realist, but maybe just not trying to let my head get to get too much into the clouds, um, and have that emotional attachment to expecting a gold medal because, you know, just just watching you guys last time like that that three one or that that win over the u.s in the the first match of the olympics is up there once again with one of the the greatest games uh, of all time and you know having you guys there and and competing is is just so great so it's, it's almost like anything on anything more than that is just the, is this is just the ter- cherry on top yeah and i think that is you know i think any high level I'll compare to this, you know, if I'm watching another sport, I would look at it in terms of 
underdog and the guy that you're expecting. I would look at it like, oh, that player is playing really well. Or, oh, I would look at it. But, you know, being in the volleyball realm, it, it will come down to execution, mm-hmm. right? I, I, the reality is it will come down to, okay, it's going to be a big moment. What are the percentages going to be like? Um, and I think you can objectively look at it and say, yes, we can win every single game, right? If we execute properly. But at the same time, every there's about five other countries that could say that. So, you know, in reality, if we have a game where we don't execute technically, okay, we lose the game. Or we don't execute tactically, we lose the game. Um, but I think having the opportunity, then it's just trying to leverage yourself or hedge yourself a bit in giving you the opportunity to do that. And I think that's what we did really well in 2016. I don't think we were that. We, we definitely did not have the weapons we have now. We definitely did not have the experience we have now. So in order for us to get the wins, our execution had to be even more stellar, had to be even more uncharacteristic. Um, Where now we're put in a place where it's more along the line of our team identity, as opposed to, we don't have to play out of our minds uh, to do these kind of things, but I'm right there with you. I mean, there's a, there's a pretty cool psychological balance between, knowing you can win and having confidence in a game and creating expectations or creating attachments to outcomes or anything like that. Um, and I think that'll be the battle for every single team, right? You know, there's going to be teams that are expecting to win every game that don't, and there's going to be teams that aren't expecting to win as, as many games and they do. Um, but that's the nature of sport and especially the nature of volleyball. I kind of, when I look at the, the Olympics, I kind of divide it into almost like three tiers. There's the third tier, which is like, we're, we're here to be here. You know, looking at the the Venezuelas, um, Tunisia, uh, of course, uh, and then there's that second tier of you know the the dark horses, uh, if you will. And I would put us kind of at the top of that of that dark horse tier. And then, of course, there's that top tier of the favorites: Brazil, USA, Russia, Poland, maybe Italy on on, on the given day. But you know, they're they're getting kind of old, and their best player isn't even Italian. But we won't we won't go there. Um, and yeah, absolutely. I do think that like it's just going to come down to that execution on the the given day. Now, looking at our pool uh, at the Olympics, we are very fortunate. Japan, Poland, Italy, Canada, Iran, Venezuela, much different than the pool of death you guys were in last time around. So how does that change the, the outlook? You know, outlook wise, I don't think it's really changing much. Um, and I mean, it sucks because these answers are too, you know, they're not titles of articles right it's it's and i think that's the that's the tough thing about being so tied into it is i would never say oh yeah our team or our pool is not as world ranking wise as strong as last time so we should blow them out of the water um what i will say is i think we have opportunities to leverage that execution better i think last time we had to take more risk because of the the quality of teams that we were playing, but psychologically, that also gives you the the reality of it's actually you're taking more risk, which you don't have to. You don't have the expectation, right? If you're playing, it's way easier to be the underdog, right? It's way easier to go in and play the U.S. first time, and then we're playing really well and we start beating them. You could see them panic, and you could see us being like, "Oh, this is great." So there's a reality that our psychological like psychology will be different for. This one, we maybe will have, whether it be subconsciously or consciously, some expectations to do, uh, you know, what we did last time. 
but the reality is, is those are sometimes dangerous thoughts. And I think it's just going to come down to game by game and, and making sure that we're executing well. And we're going to be able to, you know, again, I keep going back to this. I think we have so many weapons that we have options, right? So if things aren't going well in a certain direction, we'll be able to, I think, navigate that a little bit easier than we did last time. Um, it wasn't so much, okay, we've got one card, let's play it and see how that card goes. Right. Um, so I think that will be a, a great tool, a great asset that we have that, that we haven't in the past as much. Looking at those, those options and the, and those weapons, as you said, I, you're absolutely right. Not only do we have more options, but we also have different looks. You know, we can go with a bigger lineup where we're, we're going to be setting maybe more of a high ball offense, uh, where as we can go smaller and, and it's a little bit quicker. And even if you look at the different setters that we have between yourself and Jay and, and, uh, Brett, you know, each, each one brings a bit of a different look to, to the game and might bring a, a different style of offense. How much of Nations League is going to be experimenting with that? And how much of Nations League is going to be, let's just figure this out because the goal isn't to be at the on, on the top of the podium. Like, trust me, if you guys are standing at the top of the podium at the end of, at the end of June in, in Rimini, that's 100% amazing. However, if you guys finish 8th, and it leads to a better result in Tokyo, I will 100% take that uh, over a podium in Rimini. Oh, yeah. I mean, our our objective definitely lies at the Olympics. I mean, that's what we're, like any athlete, right, we're trying to peak for that. We're not trying to peak at uh, Nations League. So it'll, it'll for sure be a lot of trying things out. It'll also be, you know, making sure that all guys are running on full cylinders going into the Olympics. It will be assessing other teams, assessing matchups, assessing, you know, all sorts of different stuff. Um, so it will be a little bit difficult to get a read on other teams because they'll be doing the same thing. Um, but again, you're always looking for that intention and we're going to see what, what are other teams trying to do? What are their looks? Oh, all of a sudden, are they going big? Is that what's working for them? Are they going right? And I do think you're right. We have this versatility that we haven't had, um, or at least to the depth that we do now. Um, and it will be, you know, kind of toying around with that and seeing what that looks like a hundred percent. That's, that's what it's going to be kind of all about and doing whatever we can so that we peak at the Olympics. That's, that's going to be the the process there. And that does mean winning games. I mean, a part of that will be, you know, you're, you're training, you're not only trying to experiment, but you're trying to experiment, push that to the fullest, see what the top level of that is. And that's going to be beating any team in the world and then seeing if that's capable of doing that. Do you think like the younger kids who are coming into the program now, like we're getting bit, almost better athletes, you know, like maybe, maybe 10 years ago, uh, volleyball athletes in Canada weren't like the top tier athletes at their high school, let's say. But as now, if you see kids like Eric Lepke and, you know, Slater and, and Arthur Schwartz who are coming into the program, like these are physical guys. Like Slater was the number one recruit for basketball uh, in BC when he moved on to Trinity Western and he was actually a higher recruited basketball player than he was volleyball. And he chose, he chose volleyball. Do you think that's making a big difference with the program as well? Uh, I mean, in that specific example, for sure. I think that, you know, the exposure that the Olympics was, was able to give us made it, you know, a little bit cooler to play volleyball. I think, you know, back then, I mean, even now everybody looks, you know, everybody knows the NBA, the NHL, the, the big four in the States and, and all that sort of stuff. It's pretty glamorous. It's pretty awesome. You aspire to be like that. You aspire to compete at that sort of level uh, when volleyball doesn't have that exposure. So it's a little bit more difficult to aspire to become something if you, if you haven't seen it. Um, so I think the fact that we're getting this, and I mean, not only that, but now, you know, if 10 years ago we had eight guys playing pro, I mean, I don't know the numbers and now we have 80, 
there's also now a lot more people that know a professional volleyball player, which all of a sudden like deepens our knowledge of what professional volleyball is in Canada, which then gives us more exposure and, you know, even in those more like micro ways. Um, so I do think that we're getting more athletes, which then means the cream of the crop will be potentially better. I mean, it's always still difficult because you can look at a country like Slovenia that has a tiny population and they've got a bunch of freaky athletes. So it's like, where does that, or Bulgaria or something like that. Um, but I do think, you know, I, I just think the numbers speak for themselves. If you look at how many guys we have playing pro and you know, how dynamic and athletic a bunch of these young guys are. It's, it's ex, it's exponential. It, it really is. I mean, I'm, I'm not lying. Like back in 2011, I'm pretty sure it was 12 guys playing overseas, you know, and a lot of guys in like Sweden and stuff like that, and we still have guys in in, in Sweden and whatnot. I'm I'm curious to know like when when was a professional volleyball a not only like when was it when were you aware of it? And when was it kind of like starting to be a reality? Because now we have kids coming up, 17U, 18U, being like, I want to go play professional volleyball. Like I want to go play university, and my goal is to go play play professionally afterwards. Yeah, well, my biggest kind of exposure to high level volleyball would be in 2007 they uh came to london and played team canada played finland in london weren't you a floor wiper i was yeah i was a kid that ran out there and got the sweat there was also a time where i was in the mascot outfit like thing and i was about to be that as well um but yeah and honestly that was the first time i'd ever seen team canada obviously and it was also the first time that i had ever seen you know any high level volleyball i'd seen university and stuff like that but i had never seen like grown men who are beasts do this freaky thing and i was like wow this is insane um and that then was, kind of after that that was jordan's last last games right yeah 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 yeah. and that was kind of when i was like huh i gotta i gotta check this out a little bit more and i still remember there's one youtube highlight video of the plus liga and i remember it because dan lewis is in it it's when he had that fro you know that like blonde fro that he had yeah. um and he's he's a left side for scraw that year and it's to a white stripe song. I don't know if it's still out there, but I remember watching it and I couldn't really understand what was going on. I'm like, okay, plus, okay, it's in Poland. Okay, these guys are playing. Okay, there's a big crowd. And then I'd be like, oh, and that's a Canadian guy, right? So you're kind of like putting these, I mean, I sound a little dense, but I'm putting these things together. I'm like, oh, there's like pro leagues the same way that there would be like for example the london knights had a team i was like oh maybe it's kind of like the london knights that they're playing right that kind of thing major junior so that was exactly so that's kind of the first time i had ever understood that but i still had such a limited understanding and it wouldn't be until really until i was close to getting over there that i would understand what it's sort of like um and I think of that a lot of that is because we didn't have that many Canadian guys over there. So I couldn't really identify as much. Um, and, and then obviously the reality that 10 years ago or whatever it was, um, oh, 2007 is more than 10 years ago now, but there wasn't the same amount of, yeah, don't, don't say it out loud, but wasn't the same amount available online. I mean, right now I can go and I can watch almost every professional league. I can see incredibly high definition games Except for uh, and stuff like that for some reason except for in Italy, unless you pay for a certain thing and do whatever. Even then it's only um, 720 and it never works half the time, but we, oh, we, no. we won't, we won't get into that. Super yeah. League and 11 sports. God damn. Yeah. The, um, but I, but I just think like the fact that, and even that, like maybe you don't see that, but you see a higher level of highlight video than the four minute one of like six guys hitting a ball in the one that I was watching right now. You see highlights of 
they're they're like walking you through the game and i think because of that i mean everybody in the volleyball community can now understand a little bit more about what that means i mean even when i was younger and i'd be you know maybe on the junior national team or something i would hear like oh this guy plays professionally in wherever and i'd be oh okay but i have no idea what that means i don't know what it's like in greece or what it's like in turkey or what it's like right i couldn't conceptualize at all what what that meant or what they were actually doing um so but again that is reality of the times uh not only because yeah there wasn't that many canadian athletes but also because you know you couldn't just go online and, and see a highlight kind of thing like you can now yeah that was a that was a different time and i mean now i've got kids on my discord chat like high school kids in my discord chat who know more than me and it's you know it's it's crazy at the time like we had a bit of a magazine coming out once every every few months and just whatever highlight you know highlight really could find like the Lionel Marshall 50 inch <laughs> spike you know every volleyball kid remembers that yeah. video because it was it was it was one of one of the few uh one of the few options to 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 watch it it was it was way different back then and i even think the same with the national team like i don't i thought it, it was difficult to know when they were playing what they were playing now it's like you have social media, you have different outlets to be like, oh, Canada's in this tournament Nations League. They're playing this game, this game, this game. You know, 2007, it was like, I didn't know what World League was. There was also a time where Canada wasn't in World League. So it was kind of like, oh, they're now playing in a Norseka, but it, that wasn't promoted the same way because there wasn't social media. So it was kind of, it was much more difficult to not only see professional matches and understand that, but to understand what the national, because I still remember that, Lino, one of Lino Marshall's videos and he's attacking against Canada. And I'm like, oh, whoa, that's Canada. Like, cool. Like, oh, that's Durden. That's Steve Brinkman, stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, I guess they play against him, right? <laughs> like, you're not really able to put it together that easy because you're not seeing, you know, the amount of exposure that you see right now. Yeah, whereas now, kids, uh, like, you were pr pretty close. We had over 70 Canadians playing professionally this year, which wow. is, it was, isn't even as, as high. Kind of before the pandemic, we were over 100 plus, right. just, just men. Right. Right. right and and 40 plus women so it's wow. it's crazy d different now um and it i mean in truth the national team is a huge part of that just having having them play across canada in in worldly because 2012 to 2013 that was the first time that canada canada had ever played consecutively two years in a row into the world league because as, as you mentioned they played that that one year in 2007 and then didn't get back into it in, until until two, 2012 so it's crazy do you do you remember what it felt like because i remember my first exposure to international volleyball was kind of just that the fall beforehand it was the anton Forlani cup and there was the oh, yeah. a, a team and the B team because Cuba dropped out uh, Argentina and Tunisia. And literally, like, I remember seeing the game on Friday night, ran into some woman, um, not some woman, <laughs> I mean, I ran into a, my eventual club coach and she was working the VSP booth. And she goes, well, we have, you know, do you know what club volleyball is? No? Okay, well, it's, you know, basically competitive volleyball. We have trials for the team tomorrow morning. You guys should come. And like, that's how I got into volleyball, but still remember like watching the game. And I mean, like, I'm sure you were the same, played every sport growing up and here's volleyball and being like, what is this game? Like, why are those guys jumping in the middle and they're just faking it every single time? I expect them to hit it and, and they're not. Like, it was a mind-blowing experience to see that game live. And I mean, even the experience of seeing it live in person to TV is a, is a completely different experience altogether. Oh, 100%. I mean, seeing the size of some of these guys and, and even relative to the net, 
you know, I think a lot of us have played maybe in high school or something like that, or you played in junior high and like, you know, to get it over the net was like this big success story. And then to see some of these guys are close to as tall as the net. Um, and just to see how high above it they get. I, I, yeah, I was definitely blown away. I think the biggest thing for me was the speed. I was like, wow, the, it's so, the ball is moving so fast. I don't know where to look. I can't tell you anything that's going to happen. Right. When I think sometimes, you know, you're watching, I was a big basketball player at the time and it's like, okay, I can kind of understand what they're trying to do on offense. I can understand these different things, but watching volleyball is like, I have no idea what the intention is here beyond they're going to crush this serve and they're going to hopefully like, you know, score on their attack. Is that something that attracted you to the game because of how different it is? You know, you can watch it at, at, at different levels. Like watching the game back then is much different than how I watch the game now. Oh, I definitely, I definitely like that. I think it, um, there's kind of ebbs and flows to that. I think there's definitely a point in uh, watching volleyball that I, I couldn't anymore. It was just getting like too analytical and I'd watch it and it'd like, unless I'm watching it to study an opponent or I'm, you know, doing something like that, I couldn't watch it. Um, and even like, you know, even now it would probably be difficult for me to watch something non-critically. You know, it's the same as like when all of a sudden you go to school and you have to be doing critical reading versus like reading for pleasure it's kind of this, like, it's a very different experience. And it's the same thing with volleyball. I, it's difficult for me to just turn it off and watch, in, you know, for pleasure in a different way. Um, versus back in the day, it was just like literally in awe. Like I was just, and I don't know what aspect it was of that. I was just in awe. I was awestruck by how high the guys were, how hard they hit, how like float serves would move, how guys would make a dig off an insane attack. Like I was pretty blown away by so many aspects of the game i'm definitely fascinated by how like the trajectory of understanding volleyball happens and i think the reason for that is because i want to be able to you know allow that process to be quicker for the future generations of canada you know if you're in poland and you're watching the plus league every weekend it's going to naturally be a little bit quicker so how do we you know bridge that gap a little bit in in canada and i think you know me going through it or us going through it kind of that old school way it's like, okay, we know that analog template. So how do we make it quicker? You know, how do we make kids understand the international game a little bit, a little bit better, a little bit faster? I straight up think it's already happening. You know, if like, and I mean, you and I are pretty much the same age where you're, you're a 91. Um, so I, I mean, growing up, I knew who TJ Sanders was because you were one of the, you know, the prizes of, of the OVA. Um, also because you would go, always go up against my friends on the Mavericks all the time. And there was yeah. that, that good old rivalry between four city yeah. and, and, and the Mavericks. Uh, you guys played that 2017 national final, uh, against each other. Um, in Ottawa, you guys won that one, right? 2000, we won 2000. Yeah. It wasn't 2017. It wasn't 2017. No, sorry, 2007. Seven. Yeah. It was 2007. Yeah. And then we also, no, sorry, oh, and then we were in the 2008. 2008 was when we beat them in the final, and then in 2009 we lost to them in the semis. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. I, I I definitely remember that one. Um, right before that epic, the the one you guys won was right before that epic Pacman versus Bison's uh, yeah. 18U yeah. final. Um, but if you look at the progression, and not only the progression, but the number of the number of teams and 
the detail that they're playing volleyball now at, like at that 17U, 18U level is incredible. You know, especially if you go to the OVA Provincials, it's so sad that it hasn't happened in in two years because it's hands down one of my favorite events. And I love going and watch like tier two men's 18U ball because the level of volleyball and the level of detail that they're playing with volleyball is so high. The out of system setting, the serve receive, the, you know, just the strategy that they're implying is at par to what the best teams were doing 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I 100% think it's just like that that exposure is, is kids are able to to watch it way more. So I, I you know, and I mean, it, it, in certain ways, you were a big part of that um, with, with, the, with the growth of the national team. Now, you mentioned being with the junior national team. Uh, we had some questions on the, on the Discord chat and about, about the junior national team and your, your process through it because your junior national team Right. The first time Canada really beat Cuba uh, was that Norseka Championships in 2010. You guys beat them in the semifinals to 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 qualify for the finals. And I mean that core, the core of that junior national team is truly still what we have here. Yourself, Nick Hogue, uh, Van Burkle, um, you know, like Micah Christensen was setting for the the states on the other side. Taylor Sander was there. Taylor Taylor Crab. But that was truly the the. The OG team, I guess, if you will, of of change. Do you do you feel that as as well? I think that was a big. I think that was a big year. I do think the the year, um, the junior national team right before us mm-hmm. with like Graham and Rudy and and all of them. I think they were very active. I think we were kind of each a stepping stone, you know, of kind of this aspect okay. of change. I think that core group is still a big part of it. Uh, with like you know, there's a lot of good players on that on that kind of lineup. Um, but I think, I think that 2010 Cuba game is crazy. I, but when I look back on it, I honestly feel like I didn't do very much. I feel like we must have had 40 blocks in that game. All I remember was that going into the game, Cuba was extremely physical, like far beyond what we were. And I just remember block after block after block. And I just remember being like, wow, I didn't expect this to happen. I think we won one set 25-7 or something. Um, I, I remember watching that game and, and, and I was there for it. And... Uh, I was really good friends. I've always kind of been good friends with Vince Pichette. And he kind of ca- came to me and explained. He goes, you know, watch how anytime we were in a bad situation, we would tip over the block into the setter and force them into that out-of-system out of system, out of system uh, scenario. And that, to me, is almost kind of that first instance, as, as you said, of, the, of that patience of playing kind of the game within the game. And and maybe if that set isn't there, we're not just going to take a chew at it and, and try to get a kill out of it. We're going to set up that that next play. And to me, that's really kind of when the identity of, of Canadian volleyball started to be formed. I, I, okay, I think this is a pretty cool segue because I do think the the younger levels, I mean, I haven't watched that much, you know, like 18-year volleyball or 17-year volleyball, but I can only assume by the depth and by seeing what players come out of that, is it is a lot better you know like the four city team that we had it would have a tough tough time right now right um which is really encouraging but i do think there's still a gap between i i think the gap between that that player the university player and the low level international volleyball is small i think the understanding of the high level volleyball player and the differences in that the differences between a low level international volleyball player and a high level international volleyball aren't 10 centimeters on their spike jump it's not you know the fact that they can hit cross and line mm-hmm. right there's a lot of layers there and i think you touching on the point that we began to tip and they said high ball and they just like hit into our block as hard as they could and we kept blocking them that's one layer right we're starting to add these things 
And it was cool working with the NEP group because I kind of saw that in between phase. I got to see, okay, you know, when I'm in whatever league I'm in or when we're playing internationally to see the, the layers that we're using to try and exploit the other team or trying to give ourselves an advantage and then watching how many layers they have. There's a huge discrepancy there, right? So even like I'm there trying to, how do I bridge that gap, right? I think that's a really difficult one. Um, and because, and a lot of times I think where that bridge is gapped in, let's say Poland, right? We've been talking about that. They obviously have the pro league, but not only are you watching it on TV, then if all of a sudden you're 19 and you're a high level player, you're, you're then pick, picked up by Zaxa and you're now their fourth left side and you're now seeing that, mm-hmm. right? Which is a whole new level of exposure where we're getting there. We have a lot of guys overseas, our youth development is getting much stronger but that is a difficult step you know it's like the last step of the totem pole kind of thing is much more difficult than the early ones and i i was quite fascinated by that to see and to ask questions to a lot of the guys of what their intention was on what they're thinking about why they're thinking that you know how long term are those thoughts thought processes um and it was quite interesting to break it down and see like okay okay this is a place where we can invest a little bit more resources or my own resources, right. To, to try and see what we can do. That's crazy that you, you kind of bring that up. I mean, if you look at someone like Camille Semenyuk, for example, who's like a Zaxa kid born, born and raised, and he's a guy who was never on the junior national teams, like very, very sparingly used on the national team. And yet he's been one of the biggest MVPs all, all year long for Semenyuk. And I mean, once again, going back to the discord, but We've got we've got one guy in particular who's very well tied in with the Zaxa club and and he's uh we're all very big Semenyuk stands on the uh, uh, on the Discord but he talks about it how like you know for for a long time he was never viewed as anything and he developed that way now you yourself had a bit of a different path you played you spent a year at Manitoba a year at McMaster and then you went full time training center and professionally a lot of our most successful I'm not going to say all of them because we've got guys like Stephen Marr and Eric Lepke who had fantastic U-sports CIS careers and then made that transition. But if you look at maybe someone like yourself or or Gord or, or Nick Hogue, for example, all guys who kind of skipped that level of CIS U-sport ball and straight onto the straight onto the national team. Do you think that was beneficial for you? Yeah. First, I'll talk about Smeniak because uh, you know he's been like this MVP, had a great season, but I. Uh, I mean, even when we were playing against him uh, a few years back, like you could tell he was going to be good. Uh, it would be the classic scenario where, you know, he's got a great warm up. He is in the game for a little bit. He's got some great swings, some great serves, but maybe he gets like aced on a hand pass and maybe has a weird blocking error and then kind of gets pulled or whatever it was. But you could tell you're like, okay, there's something, there's something forming here. You know, he had the high end, right. Which is a big thing because when you're looking for a development of a player, if they don't have the high end, that's very difficult to develop, mm-hmm. right? If they're a really good player and they miss a few hand pass, I mean, you look at a guy like Steve Marr, right? He comes on the team, maybe he misses a hand pass, maybe whatever, like misses a serve, whatever. But you're like, okay, the guy has the high end. It's now just making sure that we kind of bridge that gap a bit. Um, but for me in my developmental career, I think, I don't think there's any perfect way to do it. Uh, I think what my, intention behind it was kind of what led it to be a little bit more successful. I think if you go to a program and you're seeing the development happen that you want to see, which is sometimes really difficult to do because you're obviously biased, right? You're obviously subjective. Um, 
So if you're able to take yourself out of that and you see it developing the way you want, then you could go anywhere. You know, you could be in anything and doing anything. Um, I was unable to see that. Um, I was also quite stubborn, but I was unable to see that a little bit and stubborn enough to, to change and to want some control in that. Uh, so I think in, in those pieces, it was definitely a big part of it. I think when you look at Gordon, Nick, I mean, they were prodigies, right? Like they're freaky good volleyball players. Obviously Nick also knows what international volleyball is. Cause you know, he watched Paris win when he was four, right? Like he, had, he, he grew up among it. Exactly. So he had a deeper understanding than, than a lot of us did, but you know, I think they had their sights on the same target, right? It was like the international game. I think for me, it was always, I want to be the best in the world, or I want to be a professional volleyball player or something like that. It wasn't, I want to be the best volleyball player I see. I want to be the best that I don't see, right? Like I want it to be a little bit bigger than that. Um, and that's a difficult perspective to hold. And it's also difficult to make big decisions based on that. Because like I said, you are going to be, have some bias. You are going to not fully understand it. Um, but I was again, really lucky. I think a huge part of it was the fact that me and Nick were on that junior team. And I could see that he understood what it was going on. And obviously then I had this connection with Glenn and I could be like, oh, okay, there is, there's this bigger layer. There's this bigger level um, where if I hadn't had that, if it was just, you know, like a experience where it was just the normal junior national team. And I didn't have that to understand what the, cause even I still remember when we lost to the U S uh, on that junior year and we lost quite badly. I mean, they're a good team, but we just had no idea what we were doing. And Glenn gave a little speech and was basically like, you guys are so far from them. Like they are so much better than you. Like, how are you going to make up for that? Right. Which is a big question. Cause we all go to whatever team we're on and we're the best player on the team or whatever. Like each of us, you're all the all-stars, but it's like, if we're so far away from these people that we're not playing against or can't play against, how do we get close to them? Like, what do we, what do we do with that? Um, and then, yeah, obviously Nick goes when he's super young over to France. And, and then I started to go to the FTC and we all went to FTC together and went over. I do think there, I don't know if I would have had the career that I had if I hadn't started internationally as young as I did. And I do think we're at a good place for that because more Canadian players are getting looks younger. Um, so I do think that could be a big advantage for us. I mean, I'll definitely say I think you were always one of those guys who showed that upside and showed that high end. I mean, I remember conversations with Dustin Reed and Jason Trepanier. And I mean, this is this is just a few years ago now. So this is but they were and they were re reminiscing and they remember talking about watching you on the provincial team, like sit on the bench and stuff like that. And they were talking about, like, why aren't we playing TJ? He's hands down the best the best guy in the gym. And then other coaches come in and we're like, well, you know, this guy has this and this guy has that. And whereas, like, those high-end guys who had been there before, both those guys played for the national team, had play, played professionally, were kind of like, no, no, TJ's our guy, right? Like, TJ's, TJ's the guy, guy we need to go with. Whereas definitely, you know, from my point of view, um, you know, I would have thought maybe someone like Chris Back was better. I mean, we're going we're going into the to the archives with, with that one there. Um, but then, I mean, we saw that again, kind of like looking at the 2014 World Championships, because that was really kind of when you it started becoming your team and you were the starting setter. Like before that, Dustin Schneider was the guy, and I mean. I, it's all for me. It's, it's always terrible that like Dustin Schneider doesn't get the recognition that he deserves because for so long he did such amazing things like that. That win over Cuba for or not Cuba, sorry Brazil 
uh, in at the 2012 World League was just a phenomenal performance by Dustin Snyder. And yet, you ask an average volleyball player this year, the, these days, and they probably don't know who Dustin Snyder is. Um, but you know, it was definitely kind of a surprise when you started taking those that starting reins at at the 2014 uh, World Championships. Was that something that you were prepared for? Or was just kind of something that that came along and and you took the opportunity and ran with it. Yeah, that's a good question. I think even, you know, even looking back just to the Team Ontario stuff, I think, you know, my first NTCCs, I was quite a bit younger, at least one year, maybe two years younger than, than the guys. Um, and I played a little bit, but again, I, I just lacked the, the confidence or the understanding of what was required of me. Um, so, cause I do remember, I do remember there being like some kind of drama where I think we were in the semis or something. I didn't end up playing and I don't know what was going on, but I also thought like, Oh, but the other guy's also older and more mature and probably understands the game better and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but there was definitely a bunch of breaks kind of in my career where I don't know if it, it was happenstance or I got lucky or I happened to things went well at the right time. Um, because then the next year at NTCCs, it was like my team. And I think I was just fortunate enough that, the, you know, the coaches at the time took me as a younger guy, kind of, you know, invested in me a little bit. And then the next summer is like, okay, it's yours, like, do what you want. And we had this, we had a great year that year. And the same thing kind of happens. In, is that the years one in Kelowna? That was the year in Kelowna. Yeah. yeah okay. um, and then, yeah, so there was a bunch of good um, examples younger that, you know, if I don't have that experience, maybe then I'm not as confident going into that when I'm a little bit older and then maybe I'm not, you know, who knows. Right. But then going up, you move it a little bit forward. Um, and the same thing with the junior national team. I mean, uh, the first year it was picked off of the NTCCs as well. Uh, and you know, that's pretty difficult to do as a coaching staff to pick, you know, cause there was a couple good setters that could have been picked and could be me. Right. Um, but then you go into kind of 2014 or 2013, I guess, when I started to get some looks because my first time kind of with the A team was 2013 and mm -hmm. I ended up being, uh, 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 I don't even know what you call it, but basically the roster was 14, only 12 could dress. So I was the guy that wasn't dressed yeah. um, for a Norseka event, I believe. And I still remember being like, okay, like I'm kind of in this groove, but again, I don't have my, and even not only on court, but off court, I definitely want to observe and see kind of where I fit in first. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not really the personality to kind of assert myself and, and just demand that be the role. Um, so even at that time, I was a little bit like timid, a little bit whatever. And then 2014 when, and you know, Dustin was plagued with injuries as well, um, which is always difficult, but it, I think that's the really unique thing about sports. And the same thing with me, I have my injuries. So now all of a sudden other guys get opportunities. Gord is plagued with injuries. So other guys get opportunity. Like that's a very important, uh, it's very organic to happen in, in team dynamics. It's a part of it. Um, so Dustin was kind of plagued with some injuries. So I ended up having to play a little bit more. Um, and then it kind of just started going well. Like I, I, my first, before that it was in world league. Um, and I remember, I'm not gonna lie. I think a couple times where I went in, I'd get double subbed in. I can't even tell you what I was like blacking out. You know, it was like the ball would come to me and I just set to four. <laughs> and I was like, all right, it went to four. The guy hit it. Good. That's all that, that's all that matters. Uh, you know, and then it's my 10th game and it's like, okay, now I want to be able to do a little bit more of this, but I'm still like, we talked about those layers. There's not, there's not that many layers when I was, when I was playing then. And then in 2014, just having a couple games under my belt, then all of a sudden, you know, having games at a world championship under my belt, uh, I'm starting to add some of those, right. They're still very limited. Like the, the level of setting is quite low level at that point. 
but now I'm getting some exposure. I'm gaining some connection with my teammates. I'm understanding middle blockers a little bit better, right? It's starting to develop. Um, and I think without that, it would be very difficult to have the trajectory that I had, you know, so Glenn being able to, you know, kind of take a chance on me when I was a little bit younger, give me those opportunities. That's I, it's crucial in developing younger players for sure. You mentioned kind of how you came in kind of shy and timid. Is that, is that change now? Like when you're with that team, do you see yourself as kind of a, a, a leader amongst that squad? Yeah. And I don't think it was that I was shy and timid. It was just, I wanted to have an understanding of the environment before taking action, right? I wanted to know what was going on before I did it. I mean, obviously I, I should say I was definitely shy and timid when I was 22 playing with 30 some year olds who had played professionally for a decade, you know, there was definitely that, but I think a lot of it um, also on the team Ontario, also on whatever, it was more, I want to make sure that my assessment is accurate so that I can get the most out of this. Right. Um, and that's the same way I approach it now. I mean, I obviously have a lot of years under my belt and, and a lot of games under my belt, but the same thing, even I go back with the NEP, I'm not going to come in right away. And, and again, it's probably a personality thing, but I'm not going to come in and, you know, take over the gym and push everybody aside. Right. It's more like, okay, what, where are we at? What can I get from this? What can they get from this? Um, and, you know, so I'm sure if you were to talk to any of them, it was the same thing. The first couple of days, a little bit quieter. And then by the last day, I felt like we were comfortable enough and we started to really work on some things with, with certain guys and stuff like that. Um, and I think that's just a, a part of not only that, but it's the same. It's, I mean, this might be a bit of a stretch, but it's the same thing when you asked uh, about the Russian setter. It's like, I don't want to make the assessment right now because I don't have the information available to me and I haven't done the work yet. You know, it goes in the same way in team dynamics as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's strong. Um, but I mean, like that that time you spent at the NEP with those kids must be so valuable for them. And I mean, you you as well to be able to, to pass on that knowledge, but to have someone like yourself come into the NEP, especially because this year the NEP is a little bit different. Um, like the past years for NEP, it's kind of guys in, in the, the transition, whereas now like there's quite a few of our top prospects who rather than spending their year training with their university teams, they, they came in to train at the NEP. So, you know, it was, it was quite a, quite a big year. So I think having that experience to have you in the gym is, is kind of invaluable. Do you think, do you think that like now, like we talked about it in 2017, it was a very young team, but now, now in 2021, four years later it's a much more mature team do you think that maturity is going to help come olympics oh yeah i mean i i don't see how it wouldn't like i, I think just the ability to w w the reality is especially over something like the olympics there's going to be times where we're not playing very well there's going to be times where we're playing a team that's playing very well and this is like age old right this is every volleyball tournament there's going to be times where things are x y or z uh, and that maturity allows us to, a lot of us have been in all of those circumstances several times. We've probably been in those circumstances where we're not playing well and we still end up not playing well and lose. We've probably seen teams that we're on be able to turn that around and turn that into a win or turn that into a loss that we learned something from, right? There's all these little pieces that we can manipulate into advantages for us that I think over the course of something like the Olympics, we will see being extremely beneficial. And I think that's, why it is difficult to beat the teams that are always winning, right? Cause they have these, I mean, I don't, I'm using, I'm overusing this phrase as well, but they have these layers of experiences that they can gauge from and they can use 
to understand like, oh, it's not every time you're down two sets to, oh, in an Olympic qualifier, you lose, right? Sometimes you win. Yeah, that, that's uh, phenomenal. You mentioned earlier kind of how before the injury, you were looking at a 10-year, maybe like a 10-year career. What's, what's the outlook for you past this year? Or is it just kind of like, let's get through this year and, and figure out what happens and then we'll, we'll kind of look forward? Yeah, I'm definitely more, um, or I guess I should say less long-term driven than I was back in the day. I think it, honestly, I think it's really important that when you're 15 or something like that, you need to have a long-term plan, right? You don't, you don't want to just be like, oh, I want to win this OVA tournament or I want to win this youth sports tournament. It should be like, I want this as a means to what end, right? When now it's not, it's not really about that anymore. I'm not looking on that long-term scale. Um, for a variety of reasons, obviously the fact that so much of it is out of my control, but I think a lot of older players, you're kind of at the point where now it's about execution and the game that you're in, right? Like when you're at the Olympics, it's not about what do I want my long-term plan to be? It's about how do I beat Poland tonight? Um, and I think, but that being said, like, you know, even that 2014 world championships, that was still me developing even that 2016 Olympics, I was probably still in this developmental phase a little bit. Right. And then 2017 happens and then we're kind of getting closer to when it's this high level, you know, international game. Um, so my outlook on it is very much, you know, I'm going to go into Nations League, see what we can do there, go into the Olympics, see what we can do there. And, and then I'll be regrouping as we as we kind of go. Do you think we'll ever see you in a pro uniform uniform again? It's a good question, because. There's a couple things. I think I can't say no um, because, you know, I still definitely have aspirations of winning in Italy and winning in Poland. I mean, we came so close with Gdansk that I obviously want those things. Uh, I want the selfish, egotistical legacy of, you know, being the best of all time or whatever, you know, whatever I can put up there. Um, but at the same time, it, I can see how it would be difficult for a pro club looking at my past three years that is one of those clubs that's playing to win Italy or to win whatever um, to commit to somebody, unless I show that I'm fully healed through nations league and through the, the Olympics. Um, so it's one of those things where it kind of depends on what opportunities come up. Um, but I can't say yes or no. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, it's too bad that most of the top leagues have foreigner limits because it seems like you would be a perfect scenario. Maybe not to take like the the tar starting spot just yet, but go go in and be like a tandem setter with, you know, maybe like a Benton Udi or you know, uh, some someone like that. Like man, like Josephie Weigel next year getting Benton Udi and and TJ Sanders. That would be sick. Obviously, couldn't happen just because of because of foreigner limits and and uh, all of that stuff it's this type of stuff that we see where like if if we had had even if it's a type of scenario where if you look at like countries like serbia or bulgaria where they have pro leagues and their best players don't necessarily play in the pro leagues they, they play elsewhere but the the pro league is is where they develop is is where they develop and other players like if we had something like that in canada um is that something that over this course of period you would have been maybe maybe participating in that's another good question. I, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, I, I'm definitely quite stubborn um, and playing in scenarios where it's maybe a lower level uh, doesn't really interest me that much. Okay. Um, the same thing with, you know, 
going as, okay, I'm injured, so maybe I can't play every game, so going in kind of be a tandem. Again, doesn't really interest me. Um, just because, well, first of all, you can only have one setter on a team mm-hmm. because they're going to they're gonna create what the offensive structure is, right? So once they've created that offensive structure, if you're the second setter, you're then trying to find your role within that. Um, I've definitely thought about it as in like, okay, get my leg back in the door, see if I want to do it. Um, but I don't think that interests me because also because my, probably my biggest upsides are running the offense, right? My biggest upside is not my physicality is not potentially how I set a back set. No, you're a Tom Brady. Right. Yeah. My whole, that's the whole point of it. So if I was to go, I would just only assume or it would be like a cool challenge, but I would only assume I may not reach my full potential as somebody who's doing a tandem kind of situation. So I don't know how much that would interest me. Um, and then going and playing for a lower level, the, the only thing I could say, well, A, it's difficult for me to put myself in that situation because I, I don't know what that landscape would look like. You know, am I playing for team Calgary and we're traveling to Toronto to play, or is it like, you know, you're right. Like, what does that look like? Yeah. That being said, it could be a really great opportunity to, potentially act more as a mentor than the guy running the offense. Cause I did really enjoy my time at NEP working with not only the senators, but all the guys there to see like, okay, what tidbits have I seen from really high level players around the world and Canadians and how can we relay that back to them? And then how can that accelerate their development? I really enjoyed that process. Cause it's kind of, I feel like when I was going through it as well, there was a lot of Canadian people helping me. Like there was a lot, but a lot of it happened also just in my head or in my, you know, laptop or in, right. It was me kind of trying to create, okay, what does this even mean? Like what, and a lot of what setting is, is pretty ambiguous. Me saying, oh, you have to layer. What does that mean? Right. You have to kind of go and do it. But if I'm there and I'm at NEP or I'm on this pro team that maybe they have in Canada, I can say, oh, that's a good example. Oh, this, right. It would be a more, um, direct example where I could kind of impart those kind of things, which definitely would interest me. Um, and then at the same time, I'm like, okay, how much of it then would be, am I a coach or am I a player? Um, and all that kind of stuff. I do think if there was a Canadian coach, there was, yeah, exactly. Player coach, ref owner, um, ref too. Yeah. Well, I mean, you want the advantage, you want the advantage. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to (laughs) put leverage into the game, but, uh, that's one of the layers there is, um, but I do think like, I, I definitely enjoy that. I definitely enjoy um, also just watching uh, changing players' perspectives and seeing them uh, develop is like a really cool thing, especially because it's pretty easy to see myself and a lot of the young setters, right? Like it's, we're all trying to figure it out and know what that means. Um, and it does seem like a bit of a weird, holy grail-ish thing to become a high-level setter. You know, like you can watch, you can go watch some setters and they might have the most beautiful hands in the world but they're playing in France pro B or something like that. Right. And it's like, okay, why, why is that? Why is that not really working out? Why aren't they able to run an offense that's as efficient as some of these other guys? Um, And I think a lot of that happens in just direct face-to-face, whether it be coaching or like showing by example. Do you think that, you know, looking forward, do you think that maybe being a leader in volleyball, whether it's on like the coaching side or the administration side within Canada is something you'd like to do in the future? Um, I think, I think I will never be able to step away from it. Like, I think it is an addiction, right? Like it's, I feel it's that. something that I have, um, 
obsessed about for so many years that not, not only for like, for very selfish reasons, I want to share that, right? Like for very, so I want, you know, to be able to impart some of that in some way, um, how that will look or how accepted that will be. I mean, who knows? Um, I don't have any direct ambitions like right now to like, Oh, I want to be the team Canada coach at some point, or, Oh, I want to do this or that. Um, but I don't think I'll ever be, you know, away from the game for very long. And, and then, and then on the flip side of that, it's like, well, it all totally depends on what life kind of throws at you. Right. Like it's difficult. You got to, at some point, make decisions pre post during your career that, you know, either maybe, maybe volleyball does become like a total full-time thing, or maybe it, you know, becomes that I'm just a consultant in some way. I mean, like I, for one, would love to see you. I think you've got a great head on your shoulders and I think we need more people like you, you know, in the, in the same way that I mentioned, you know, Jason Trepanier and Dustin Reed earlier, you know, both of us are Ontario guys. We both know the impact that guys like that have had, uh, on Ontario and, and, and Canadian volleyball. And I would definitely put you right up with them uh, amongst, you know, the people that I would like to see kind of, kind of come back and, and in, invest the sport. So I, I, I would endorse you in, 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 in any way for, for that. Uh, I mean, but you're already doing it too, with what you're doing up North in, uh, in Inuvik and, and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, it doesn't seem to be that far of a throw to see you involved, you know, in 10 years time, if it's, if it's not on the court. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing. Like I, I'm definitely fascinated by volleyball, uh, like obviously in love with the game. Um, but it's also really interesting because I have a lot of other interests that I never really, you know, pulled the thread at during my career is very single-minded like woodworking or sewing or knitting or something yeah exactly so i'm trying to become a basket weaver and i uh no but uh no i i think it's like as a that was me during my career i never had you know i didn't have many relationships or family stuff outside of volleyball i didn't have um you know like i wasn't doing school while i was playing professionally i didn't have you know it was very much how do i succeed in volleyball Um, so now being outside of that, and again, like that injury kind of shook some of that perspective a little bit. Um, I had to see like, okay, what else am I interested in? And I think taking the lens that I've had for volleyball and what I've learned from, I mean, like just endless has been given back to me, uh, and taking that to other areas also really interests me. Um, so I could kind of see it as like this tandem thing where I would be exploring these other things, but I could never leave volleyball fully behind. Right. And you're totally right. Like the, the work up North it's a volleyball program, right? So I think in some ways there will always be attachment to that. I mean, I definitely, you know, depending, we all know like kind of after this quad, it, it almost seems like, you know, what are the chances that Hogue is going to be back after this quad? You know, what are the chances that, you know, a lot of the guys are, are going to be back? Um, I definitely, I could definitely, I'm, I'm not saying you have to, but I could definitely see, you know, TJ Sanders on on the sidelines. I guess it's not a clipboard anymore. It's the it's the headpiece, you know, because you're you're tied into the data volleyball, right? The data volley guys in the back, but you know, I could definitely see that. Like, you know, there there's a potential tandem there. Dan Lewis, TJ Sanders. You know, you got the fiery uh, motivator on one side, and you've got the calm, cool, analytic guy on the other side. I don't know. That seems to be like a d- dream team to me. Um, but you know, maybe maybe I'm just spitballing here. Who knows? I well, I do. I like the the intricacies of the kind of chess game going on in volleyball are really satisfying to me. Like I love that. 
Um, so that's another thing too, is looking at, you know, these different kinds of stages in development. They're very different to approach, right? Like, so I'm with the NEP guys. I'm going to treat that very differently than if I'm with a pro team in Poland, I'm going to treat that differently than if I'm working with an 18 u team in the OVA or, you know, a 14 year old kid in the North, right? They're all so different. I think I get most of my kind of fulfillment volleyball speaking with the highest level, right? Like I, I'm most thrilled by the fact of, okay, trying things. How do we change the game? How do we grow the game? How can I be, you know, using whatever statistical analysis to be creative enough to change the way we play volleyball? That's cool. I really am into that. I think, could I technically go help a 14 year old setter and like get them better hands? Yeah, for sure. But I also think there are a lot of coaches that would be better than me at that. Right. I think there's a lot that at least as good, you know, right, right. There's a lot, there's a lot that can be like that. So I do think when, when it comes to my, what I would want to do with this sport, I think a lot of it will, will come from the high end and, or at least that's what I, you know, am most drawn to. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I mean, it is pretty cool. Like, like I said, even in the North, like I'm working with 14 year old kids, you do a couple things. I see a couple things. We change a couple things. And now all of a sudden they're, hitting for the first time and they're like pumped about it. That gives, that does give me the same feeling, but I do know that there are people that are definitely better than me at that and, or at least as good. Um, but on the other end of it, I do think just with the fact that there's those layers to my experience, the high end is something that, you know, is a little bit more unique. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've had only a handful of setters in Canadian history who have set at, world championships even fewer who have set at olympic games right and you've done both those things even you know there's technically only two setters who ever won world league medals as well uh which would be yourself and jay so i mean obviously your your talent and your experience kind of leads you to uh to all of that um all right now we're, we're wrapping things up here what what what's kind of we're going to go back to to uh to nations league right now and What's your prediction for for Nations League? We're not going to jump to the Olympics because that's you know there's there's something we we, we got to leave we got to leave something for the next episode of this. Um, but uh, what's your kind of prediction in terms of what we're going to see lineup wise? Do you think we're going to run the full eighteen man roster through through the lineup, or do you think it's going to be more so figuring out what's going to be working for the Olympics? That's a really great question. You know what? I don't have that much insight on that. I would say. Um, there will be a lot of tinkering, right? Like, so I'm going to say a lot of guys will get a lot of court time. Um, but at the same time, a lot of that depends on how those early matches go, right? If there's an early match and things are really clicking in a certain way, the coaching staff could be like, okay, maybe let's keep running with that. Or they could say, okay, we know that works. So let's try these other things. Um, I know that like, again, we're not going in there. We're not going to play seven guys for the entire 30 days or whatever. Um, but I'm really not sure what the approach will be game to game. Um, a lot of guys will get a lot of playing time and rightfully so, like there's gonna be a lot of matches. So, uh, you know, nobody can go and play every match and then try and do the Olympics a month later. Um, but I'm really not sure. I don't have much of a, I don't have a great answer to that. I think that, um, experimentation is, is going to be crucial, uh, you know, built, but also it's like this, it's the fine line. It's the classic balance of that experimentation, but also building connections with certain guys, building 
you know, certain things, confidence, certain things, and especially the, the fact that there hasn't been much playing happening together. Like there, right. There's such a lack of international experience or like matches right now for the past couple of years. So there might just be that it might be like, okay, you're going to see more of a starting lineup for the majority of it because we want to get the groove back. Um, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be really interesting. And I got to say the coaching staff probably has a bit of a tough job. That's a logistical chess match in itself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, cause you know, we're going to see plenty of guys. And then uh, as you mentioned earlier, there's so many different situations, you know, you've got guys who are coming off of great pro seasons, guys who are coming off of pro seasons, maybe where they haven't as much, you know, you're going to be looking at guys like, like Nick and Graham, for example, or like Jay and, and Brett, for example, have been playing a lot of minutes in, in, in Turkey. Um, you know, whereas Mar, especially towards the later half of the season, has has been has been playing much. So it, I think it's going to be interesting to see the different looks that that we're going to be able to to have out there. And uh, I'm excited. Nations League bubble is going to be fantastic to watch. If you guys like, if you guys, I'm pretty sure it's going to be on Volleyball World TV. So if you guys at home are, are watching this right now, make sure you get that subscription because not only is it the men's team, but it's the women's team too, which is phenomenal. Because you know. That's the first time it's ever happened. It's really too bad that I've I've heard from the bubbles that they're going to be completely separate and that there's not going to be any like mingling of the bubbles. And because like I was seeing like opportunities where you know the women's team is playing, and it's just the two men's teams in the crowds like chirping right. each other or 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 <laughs> vice versa. That's that's what I was kind of hoping from the 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 Nations League bubble. Yeah, we will definitely be, you know, kind of cheering them on for sure, whether it be directly or indirectly. Um, but I do think I do think the one thing I can say is there will probably be some very unusual things that happen throughout it. I just think the fact that there are so many games so close to such an important uh, event. Um, so definitely keep an eye out for it. And if it's if it's I happen to be out there, I'm sure I'll do some wacky things intentionally that that hopefully entertain some people. I still I was just as you were mentioning, um, just kind of talking about that. It, I remembered back to I forget what it was. I don't know if it was World Cup. No, it wouldn't have been World Cup. I think it was Nations League or something. But we were playing Japan. The story comes up a lot because Mara brings it up a lot. And we were in Japan and I, me and Steph were talking and we're trying to work on things in the offense. And again, if you want to, if you want to make change, if you want to do things like it requires an extreme level of risk, it requires you to go very heavy in one direction. Mm -hmm. And we kind of had this side bet that he said, okay, it was kind of this thing where like, can you not run left side once and win this in three sets? That was kind of like the game, right? So I set no balls to the left side and can we still win or how will we win? Obviously it came maybe a high ball situation where I go and I have to like jack it and I'm forced to, but in a decision-making situation. And so I'm pretty sure Mar got like one set that game and somebody got, and I think Nick maybe got like zero or something and Graham had 26 and somebody else had whatever. And I remember it being really funny because it was like, Oh, this is really interesting because we ended up winning quite handedly by the unorthodox nature of the offense that I was running. And then that's something that, again, like that's another layer, right? It's like, okay, well, how far can we take certain things? And at which time do you change the channel and go to some, you know, right? Like at what point in that game should I then start setting Mar who's against the setter, right? That was another big thing, right? So he's against the setter, Japanese setter, amazing, extremely small blocker, right? So the advantage should be there, but we're like, how do we go into their best blocker and still win? What, what, offensive manipulations can we do to still win that game as efficiently as possible um so i'm sure during nations league there will be things somewhat similar obviously not exactly that 
Yeah, I mean, but like, if, be... if we can refrain from not setting the lefts, you know, like, that's extreme. <laughs> I'm saving them jumps, man. I'm saving them jumps. Yeah, but Mar hits the ball hard, you know? <laughs> He's got a lot of games to hit the ball hard, so yeah. no problem. But I mean, but I know, but even I just mean the, the idea. I mean, the idea of every setter that we've heard, right? It's like, oh, you want it to be 33, 33, 33. Right, like the and that, but that's a that's a principle on how to run an efficient offense. That doesn't mean that's going to be an efficient offense. You could run ninety nine one and win twenty five two, right? Like it's about how are you using those different layers, and that's something that I'm trying to as much as I can impart in a lot of setters. And it's like I'm I'm reflecting mostly back on this NEP group. It's how can you do things so extreme and unorthodox that it becomes your advantage, right? Yes, if you're the guy that touches 380 and you can hit a line shot and a cross shot, you have a lot of room to have an advantage. But if you only touch 330, what are the other things that you can add into your game that can become your advantage? And I think that's it's it's more concrete when you look at attackers or you look at serving or look at whatever. When setting, it doesn't have that as much, especially in Canadian kind of culture. Um, so I think something like that, obviously I'm not going to not set the ball to the left side, but I just mean things like that where you're trying to Cause I mean, I'm also doing that for a variety of other reasons, but it's too, it, it, there's a larger game at play. Like don't keep your focus so narrowed, mm. right? Keep your focus on the outcome and the statistics, not the, and not, sorry, I shouldn't say that, not the focus on the outcome, but I mean, understanding how you got there. Yeah. That's uh that's really interesting. Damn, not setting the left side for an entire match. That's that's that some next great. level stuff, especially since you guys walked away with a win too. That's... It was so fun. I still remember it because every time, because then it started going on and on and on and me and Steph were laughing the whole time and Mars red in the face the whole time. <laughs> oh, so officially, man. I apologize, Steve, but you know. Watching, watching uh, actually, I remember coaching against Steven Mar, and this is the OVA 18U final. He's playing with Crush. And uh, we won, my, my, the Mavericks team that I was coaching with, we won set number two and forced it to a third because we just served Stephen Marr short the entire time. And our, our right side player got, got injured and it was our third middle who was playing right side who was serving him short. And that was the time I've seen Stephen Marr the most, the most mad. Um, and then for some reason, we made the decision in set number three to go off of Stephen Marr onto Lucas Coleman. And then he unleashed on us in, in set number three. And we, we finished up with the, uh, the silver medal and they won gold. The guy's a, the guy's a good volleyball player. The guy, the guy's an absolute monster. Well, dude, that thank you so much for for chatting with us. Also, I think we should figure out some time for uh, for me to come up with, to uh, Inuvik with you because I would yep. absolutely love to capture that um, and just I I would love to take like an anthropological look at culture. And then one of the things that's been fascinating for me over the years of I've been able to see volleyball pretty much in every province across the country, and it's been fascinating for me to see the difference of between volleyball from, you know, BC to, all the way to, to, to PEI and, and Halifax, but then also the similarities, how some things right. don't change from from province to province. And I think that would be massively interesting, probably the, probably the most interesting to go somewhere so foreign like Inuvik and to see both those differences and, and those similarities. So maybe we should we should talk about that in the next few years to make that happen because yeah. I, I, I would be all for it. Let's bring me dog sledding. Let's go. Let's yeah. go. Uh, let's go experience the North because I, I do think that that exposure for them is hugely important. It's 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 massive. 
Yeah, I, I think there's definitely, you know, the fact that a lot of Canadians don't even know that that region is a thing and don't really understand what's going on up there um, is pretty disheartening. And I shouldn't say that not in a, in a negative way because I didn't either. Right. When it kind of came up, I had a very limited, you know, in school, we're not taught that much about it. Um, and I still don't know that much about indigenous communities around where I am now. Right. So it's, it, I think the, the reality that we're a little bit ignorant in a lot of ways um, is something that we need to understand. We need to accept that uh, and then attempt in, in the best way that we can to, to learn a little bit, understand a little bit, have some compassion and then, you know, see if we can help in any way. And, I mean, the beauty of it is, is like, I've met some incredible people up there, both indigenous to the community and also who work up there. Um, and again, I, I, again, I just feel really fortunate that I've had these experiences throughout the world with volleyball, given me like all these different perspectives and outlooks and then get to go up there and have again, like another completely new experience. So we would love to bring you up there one time and, and have you up there one time it would be a uh, would be a blast yeah absolutely i'm 100 percent admitting my ignorance uh especially especially to to that uh, kind of stuff in in that area of the world um so absolutely i would love to come up and and just kind of you know experience it all and and, and get to learn and then also share that with not only canada but uh as well as well as the world at large so yeah that that would be fantastic doesn't have ha, doesn't have to happen right away as you said you know it seems like you're going to be pretty ingrained in the community and you're going to be kind of going up for the for the foreseeable future so um definitely at some point i i think we should make that happen but in the meantime dude it, it's First of all, it's fantastic to see that you're healthy and that that you're happy. Um, I guess those are the the two most important things. And then also, it's fantastic to going to be we're going to get the chance to see you once again in a Team Canada jersey and not wearing a back brace and not uh, standing <laughs> floating. So I'm very excited about that, and I'm just really excited about the the season coming back. So really appreciate you, man. Really appreciate you taking the time and coming on the show to to chat with me. It's been a while, and uh, it's good. I'm I'm glad to see you're doing well. I really appreciate that, man. It's also great. I mean, just to throw it back at you, it's really great to see what you're doing for, for volleyball in the country. I mean, it's cool to see this exposure. Like we talked about, remember when we were younger, there wasn't a lot of that. So the fact that, you know, you're getting all sorts of people um, on the podcast and then everything that you're doing uh, is pretty fantastic. Uh, and I really appreciate those well wishes. I mean, it's going to be a fun summer. It's going to be a crazy one. Um, but uh, yeah, I appreciate the sport and, and yeah, we'll, we'll have some fun. Awesome. Guys, if you guys want to check out TJ and the rest of Team Canada, they're going to be competing uh, at the Volleyball Nations League all throughout. Uh, it starts end of May, all throughout June. It's going to be kind of nonstop. And then, of course, you're going to be able to catch them uh, at the Tokyo Olympic Games come August. So tons of volleyball to be watched this summer. And this guy's going to be front and center for it. TJ, can't thank you enough, man. Glad to see you're healthy and uh, go kill it this summer, dude. Can't wait. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a great day. Peace.